I think we were probably probably right about this time of manner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were, uh, me and old man were like mucking around in the playground in school, and I um, inadvertently slammed old man's head into a wall, and he hard weighed big time. He was a crimson mess, an absolute crimson mess. And I, um, we, <laughs> we walk into the first aid room, and they were like, some, we were like year eleven at this time, and there were these little fucking shits from like year seven or something like that. And they were like, an old man had, had his like head over his hands, because he was obviously trying to stop all this fucking. Big... And I tell you, he's genuinely like covered in blood. Yeah, like Ric Flair, Dusty Road style, like covered in blood. And, yeah, and this, he had his hand covered, and this, this, these little kids were pressing him. And like, Look at him, he's crying. And old man just went. I just revealed his face them. Look at they shit themselves. It was amazing. And then later on in the afternoon, I was kind of in um in I think it was his science, and I was like, I need to go and check on old man. He's like, you know, because he's I worried he might be concussed or something. So I went to the school nurse's office. And I turned my head around. <laughs> I turned my head around. An old man had this like comedy bandage around his head, <laughs> like wrapped around his head, with just like a tuft of his hair sticking out the top. <laughs> it was off. Oh, absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> I tell you what, very quick. I'm just gonna very, I'm only very briefly gonna digress. Um, I, as as you guys did, as a lot of wrestling fans did, we were in school. Let's face it, we we all booked our own promotions and shit yeah. like that. We we all had a go. Yes. The funniest thing is, <laughs> in school, we we filmed some videos which may or may not be on YouTube still to this day. Cheap plug. Um, <laughs> but what happened was our. Our careers advisor for the school found out that we were doing this and called me out of class and basically said, I'm really concerned about you, Matthew. And I was like, oh, oh shit. And I was like, well, you know. And I was quite a, at the risk of sounding like a geek, I was quite a good boy when I was in school. And he went, I've heard that you're running an illegal fight club. Amazing. <laughs> and I was, I had no idea. I burst out laughing. And I just went, I mean, I, I wrestle with friends and I'm the promoter and booker of outlaw wrestling 
shows should I say? But yeah, for Froome to say that you run an illegal fight club. I like to think that as he as he walked off, he just fucking hit him with a chair as he left. <laughs> so outlaw wrestling. So I'm on it already. I tell you what, I think remember the desire videos. If yeah. You search, if you search M A T apostrophe S desire, so Matt's desire with one T, my video should load up. Hmm, I can't find anything like that. That is amazing, though, and we will find that video somewhere and we will post it on our social media because I can't find desperate to see that. So welcome everyone to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Tom Smith and joining me today is Old Man and the Polar Bear. A couple of cracking nicknames going on there, I think we can all agree. Uh, Old Man is also known as Sam Carey. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, mate. And you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. And the Polar Bear is Matt Roberts, as he's become known as recently. How's it going, mate? I'm good, gents. How are we doing? Yeah, very good. Very excited. Um, we're starting the oh, podcast. I, hang on, hang on. Sorry, just before we go. Matt, how yeah. are your bowels? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'm not going to lie, they, they're quite loose at the moment, which is not good. <laughs> so, for those who clearly are interested, I'm recording this while sat next to my toilet for easy access. So, <laughs> just in case anything goes wrong. And in case anybody was worried about this being high, bro, what I was actually about to ask that old man, uh, we're recording a few minutes behind schedule today. So yeah. old man had to have a dump before the uh, podcast started. And he messaged, in fact, into our group. I'm going to read it out now. They said, just crunching one out, so maybe a minute or two late. Now, Matt, this is a phrase, crunching one out. It's a phrase very familiar to, to us, maybe even just South Bristolians. Yeah. But I was wondering if, that, if you were aware of that phrase. I-, I was, and it means one of two things. Either old man was doing his crunches today, which could could have been could have could have been doing his exercises for all I know. No. Although otherwise, knowing what I would know it to mean is, old man was having a good tug before the start of the show. Oh, you know oh I love it. I I thought that when I said it, I was like, oh, I wonder if that means something different in Wales. Lovely. Either would have been preferable because it was a bit. Well, it was a bit of a pressure dump, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned about that, though, because I'm doing it wrong. I'm not going to mention the show or anything yet, but th- there were some references to to tugging and jerking off dotted all the way throughout this show. So get get ready. You, you can't wait to hear all this. All this talk about wanking and jerking and tugging. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I've noticed. Every now and then, it's normally when uh, people who know what Hot Ones is, so they tend to drop a new episode every week, and I'll go on there, and then every now and then, a little like clip and it'll always be stone cold it'll be like a 10 minute clip from war from war yeah from war <laughs> from the, the, war. the famous <laughs> yeah. plastering show that used to host <laughs> and uh he is constantly saying how he wants a piece of x person's ass <laughs> yeah, yeah he loves it <laughs> he yeah. loves a bit of ass i mean who can blame him if only, oh luckily there might be a uh, wrestler on this show who gives us plenty of ass we'll have to see won't mm. we this is just a quick violent push off a ladder towards our social media for everyone because we've been giving you gentle fucking pushes and it doesn't work so you guys you fucking cunts just get on it and like us on social media and review us on all of your favorite podcasting providers i'm sure old man will give us a friendly reminder of that later on before we get into our talking points i got a little story to tell you guys a little anecdote oh, uh, yeah. 
let's move over the weekend. So over the weekend, my wife and some of my family and my kid went to a National Trust property called Tredegar House, which is just near Newport. Stop and hold that thought. They went where? Is it Tredegar House? Trede- oh, man. You, it does stick out that I'm the Welsh one on you. My God. <laughs> Tredegar House. What you really mean to say is, and for all the listeners out there, particularly the Welsh ones, is Tredegar House. Tradiga House. Okay, well, that's something I've learned today. Do you know, no one corrected me. None of the people who worked in there corrected me at all. That but you know, it's just genius. But Tradiga <laughs> House. Then there we go. Tradiga. So we went there, and um, we were kind of like walk around like the, the grounds and the house over there. And there's all these kind of national trust. It's the most fucking middle class thing I think I've ever said in my life. They got all these people walking around, and they offer their, you know, their little uh, little points, little information points around the house, etc. And I get to the end, and there's this woman. She's got a really strange accent. So I kind of sat, sort of chatted to her. I was just, well, where are you from? I can't place your accent. She said, I'm from um, Calgary in Canada. I said, oh, really? So that's Bret Hart country then. And she went, she went, yeah, yeah. So do you know, you know, Bret Hart? And I was like, yeah, he's my favorite wrestler of all time. He's one of my heroes. And she said, yeah, I, I, um, I, I knew most of the brothers. Um, in fact, what some of them used to be uh, supply teachers in my school. And Bruce Hart would sometimes be a supply teacher, and he wore the aviator sunglasses in the classes. No, I, I'm just captioning. Only if you guys could see. Old man's face. I think he's just. Oh, it was getting better and better. Cause when you said about knowing the brothers, I was like, I knew he was coming up here. Can you imagine that? He walk in, got a, got a little bit of math, as the Americans call it. I don't know if they call it that in Canada. They probably just call it maths, I reckon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then you walk in, you're like, oh, that's not that's not Mrs. Wednesday Dell. Hang on, who's that cunt in the aviators? <laughs> it's Bruce Arden. You know, he'd be. Shitting all over Mrs. Wensley Dale. Yeah, she ain't as good. He'd be working himself an angle so he could teach full time there. Definitely, you know, oh. you know, like he's like he's taken up three seats in the fucking teachers' room, <laughs> whatever it's called, the, the break room. Like he's sat in there, he's got his bag open on one chair, he's got his he's got his sandwiches on another chair, and he's just like, no, you're not, you're not fucking sitting there. No, I don't, you can stand. I'm sorry, yeah. it's not my fault they haven't made enough seats. Like, do you know who I am? I'm fucking Bruce Hart. So. I, and if you don't know, I've got some signed pictures here. <laughs> that did remind me of uh, at one point I went to see TNA Impact back when it was taping at you know Orlando Universal Studios in like for mm-hmm. oh, I can't remember what it was like 2000. You were the one. <laughs> yes, I, I was <laughs> the one there. Um, I got in there quite late and there was no seats and there was this one woman who was saving a whole row and I was like oh, for fuck's sake. And I, I came in, and it was getting to the point of they were trying to get people to sit. They're like, if you don't find a seat, you're going to have to leave. And I was like, fucking come here to see. I want to see TNA. Diehard TNA fan back in the day, I'll admit. Was dying to see it. Was getting more and more pissed off with this woman. I even went up to her and said, oh, excuse me, you know, do you mind if I sit you? At which point she was like, oh, no, all these seats are taken. I was like, you're lying, bitch. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I managed to find a seat, but spoiler alert, this happened to be the wife of Terry Funk. Really? Oh. I didn't know. At some point during the show, Dory Funk Jr. and some other family members came in and took oh. their seats where they were reserved for them. And I thought, oh, fuck. Where was Terry in all this? Yeah. I, I don't I don't believe he was there, but Dory Funk was definitely there. His wife was there. Some other friends or family members. And those fuckers stole all the only seats left. <laughs> I, I think Terry couldn't make it because his horse was unwell which is 
that's the way to make Survivor Series '93, wasn't it? Right. It's, 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 it's um, the, the the thing that made me just think about the the idea of Bruce Hart it definitely carries around, you know, sign pictures in a satchel. Reminded me of it's it's a gentleman that was discussed by Old Man and Tinky on the uh, week before last show, that Neil Warnock, uh, oh, yes. the, the man who applied his own pile cream in front of everyone. Yeah. I don't know I why you, you called it right, old man. I don't know what happened. Somehow we always end up talking about piles. I don't know why you <laughs> find it so funny. Because apparently it's a really unpleasant thing to happen. Yeah. But anyway, um, apparently he used to carry, he carries around a bum bag with signed pictures of himself as well, which is <sighs> lovely. But anyway, well, I want to introduce you lads to the talking point this week. And there's only really one place we can start. Fucking ding dong, the witch is dead. Vincent Mann off he's retired yeah. he's fucked off and according to various reports today uh day of recording being the 25th of uh, july sounds like triple h is going to be the head of creative going mm. forward now i want to know your guys thoughts on this uh, i'll start with you matt well what uh, what a story to start the to start the show off with i mean you know, we we vaguely, you know, sort of touched on this just uh, just a couple of weeks back, talking about the possibility of what of what could possibly happen. And look at us being the prognosticators that we are. We we predicted that it came to pass, and it did. As as you said, Tom, ding dong, the old man is gone. He's evidently dug himself one huge fucking hole. I tried evident- to fuck it. <laughs> yes, exactly. As evidenced by the fact that he's gone. I mean, a friend of mine has, has been, honest to God, WhatsApping me all day about this, right? Uh, and he sent me a picture of, uh, I think it was him, Vince and Candice Michelle on TV years ago and, you know, him trying to get with her or whatever. And oh, obviously, storyline-wise, who knows? And I was just thinking, do you know what? He really <laughs> did just screw himself over, didn't he? It's a world of wrestling without Vince McMahon, which, you know, <laughs> the, the McMahons have been... They've controlled everything for as long as I can remember. It's crazy. I mean, who knows what's going to happen just yet? I mean, I, I'd love to get swept up in the hysteria of, you know, th- things are going to change straight away. You know, we're, we're going to watch next episode of Raw and all of a sudden, I don't know, fucking Riddle wins the world title off Roman Reigns or some shit like that. I mean, you, you want to make a statement and tell you all that's the fucking way to do it. But <laughs> I, I don't see things like that happening. I, I see it being a gradual shift. You know, you, you still do for the time being have Kevin done there. I mean, let's face it, the writing is probably on the wall. And I would imagine he's probably going to be given his, his walking papers before long. If not, fuck that guy. It's time for a change. Is Triple H the guy to do it in terms of creative? Do you know what? I mean, everybody looks at it as NXT run. I, you know, the, the black and gold brand, so to speak, a couple of years ago. And let's face it, there was some really great stuff there. The only problem is, and I mean, I think if you look at a lot of the people who've left, I mean, no disrespect to a lot of the people on NXT 2.0, but I don't think they're up they're up to scratch and they're not the same sort of caliber as some of the guys that have been and gone. So, okay, I mean, character-wise, I, I think we're going to see some interesting shifts. But bangers every week, I'm not quite sure just yet. No, it's it's interesting you say it because uh, and to some extent I don't think NXT should have all those people in it. It's the 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 idea behind it in the first place was to be a developmental territory, which is what it is at the moment, and I think that's how it should continue. And obviously, it became like a bit of a behemoth and became you know its its own uh, you know a third brand in and of itself, basically, uh, from what it seemed like to kind of attract that 
indie wrestling, you know, the, the, the quote unquote smart slash indie wrestling crowd. And then they decided to go back into a, into a more of a developmental territory. So I think that's a, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they do that because they don't have any, really any quick fixes, quick surprises or anything like that. Old man, what about you? I think the main thing for me, it's one of those things where it kind of in a strange way didn't feel real. It was a bit like, fucking hell. And then uh, over the last couple of days, I was like, oh, that is that's pretty nuts, actually. And then I've kind of kept up with the news today about Trip H. The one thing I think he will do is I think there'll be more clearly defined face and heels. No one works heel anymore. Like, people just work. And mind you, this show that we're covering today isn't a shining example at all times of that. But I, I think we will see more clear. You'd like to think that there'll be a bit longer term storytelling because Triple H, a lot of his programs went on a heck of a long time. Too long in many cases. But at least there might be some direction. I mean, it's I must say it's made the uh, September show in Cardiff a heck of a lot more interesting because I feel like it's too late now for SummerSlam for there to be any real changes. But by then, we'll be another... So, well, after this comes out, I think it'll be three weeks away. And it'll be... Well, it will have happened in three weeks' time after this comes out. But it'll be quite interesting to see what they do. Don't get me wrong. I still ain't going to watch it. But, well, I'll watch the Cardiff show because we're going. But I'm not going to watch any stuff on the telly. But I always keep up with the reports. But you just never know, do you? Probably not. Anything exciting. But, hey. I... Basically, just went onto Twitter just now to have a look at. I just look at the hashtag WWE to see what kind of news is out there, and there seems to be a um a, a Twitter account which is w- at WWE Black King, which is a um a love letter to Austin Theory's ass, which is um, really? quite interesting. Yeah. So anyway, this is seismic. This is massive. We have hmm. never in our history of wrestling fans, the three of us, known wrestling industry without Vincent Mann in it. He is a trailblazer uh, and genuinely one of the greatest minds uh, at one point of the greatest minds in the history of wrestling and has genuinely revolutionized it. And ultimately, we're all wrestling fans because of it. Well, I remember when we were at WrestleMania 25, we went to a Ring of Honor show and it was a lot of fun. And there were people in the crowd at Ring of Honor shouting, fuck, chanting, fuck WrestleMania. And I can remember thinking to myself at the time, you're all fucking dickheads because you wouldn't be into this had you not been introduced to it, either as a direct result of watching WWE or as a result of the way that wrestling had to change and adapt and make itself better as a result of WWE. That being said, Vincent Mann is clearly a fucking mucky cunt and has been for a very long time and almost seemingly took pride in telling everyone about his indiscretions mm. in various on-screen storylines that he presented and often included himself in. So we can't kind of go little far without saying that. What is What I think is going to be really interesting is the fact that I don't think anything's going to change whatsoever, especially with the main, with the main roster, with the main talent, because WWE are a massive multi, multi-million, even billion dollar company that ultimately is beholding to its shareholders. And whilst Triple H did do a very good job with NXT Gold and made it a very exciting product and made it a bit more kind of old school feeling, like old man said, they clearly defined, you know, roles between face and heel, made storylines a bit, you know, a bit more thought out, a bit last a bit longer and, and generally be a bit more of a traditional style of booking wrestling. He was in his own little corner, started off hour a week on NXT. You can do whatever mm. the fuck you want on the, on the network. And then obviously it got bigger and bigger and bigger, but ultimately it still isn't, even though they had their own, you know, their own network show, it wasn't ever the 
product. It wasn't the WWE product. So he was able to book it and you know do what he wanted in there to some extent because he didn't have to answer to anyone, I don't think. Whereas obviously that is entirely different when you're talking about the likes of Raw and SmackDown, when you've got you know the, the amounts of merchandise that they sell, the TV rights, advertisers, all of that sort of stuff. And they're still making money hand over fist. And to some extent, they don't really need to try and make the product better because, I mean, listen, we've all got tickets to go and watch it in Cardiff. I haven't watched any WWE for an incredibly long time. Old man hasn't until he randomly decided to watch Money in the Bank for some reason. Yeah, um, and I bloody enjoyed it as well. Yeah, and I do get the idea. I get the impression from what you've said in the past that you do kind of maybe not necessarily diligently keep up with it every week, but keep an eye on it and watch the pay-per-views and stuff like that. Is that a correct assumption, Matt? Yeah, um, I, I, t- I, tend, I tend to dip into the pay-per-views at least. I mean, I, I tend to catch the big ones. You know, your, your Hell in a Cells, your, your crappy pay-per-view name, I don't know, No Mercies or whatever. Anything like that, I tend to just skip over unless it's a card that really draws me in. But I, I just tend to watch the big shows. Yeah, to some extent, they, that's enough for them. You know, they don't need to try and do anything more to really wheel people back in. Because there'll always be people that either keep a, keep watching it or just watch it as it is and then buy all the merchandise. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm probably going to buy a T-shirt or two when I go to Cardiff as well. So, yeah. like, they've, they're have they already getting 150 quid out of me. And I consider myself a very much a lapsed fan of the product. So, you know, if they're getting money from me, they're getting money from more people than me. And obviously, well, also, and 120 quid a year just to, to the network as well yeah. so you know they, they 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 don't need to change anything so i don't think it will be whereas everyone's there's a lot of people on twitter celebrating be like yes triple h is triple h is now head of creative like yeah. ain't gonna do anything do you know what he's gonna do he's, he's gonna come back <laughs> he's gonna oh, come back yeah, amazing but so, obviously obviously he had his heart thing yeah so he's oh, i'm gonna main event clash at the castle but because of his heart thing he's gonna have to go to a 60 minute draw <laughs> but it will be the slowest paced thing you've ever seen. Yeah. It'll be and, a 60 minute Broadway that he still manages to win somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it'll but, be a draw. It'll be officially a draw, but then the referee will be like, no, nah, you got it. You got the draw. Yeah. And they bring back Kevin Nash for one night only. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys have got anything else, but I'll move on from that now. Now, so today we are talking fully loaded and we're not talking about those sad nachos covered in sweaty cheese that you get from Weatherspoons. We're talking about fully loaded 1999. We are balls deep in the Attitude Era. Our balls are so deep in the Attitude Era, they're practically coming out of the Attitude Era's mouth. And if I'm thinking of a mouthpiece, in the Attitude Era, I think of Jim Ross. So I want you listeners to think of me, Matt, and old man jamming our bollocks into Jim Ross's asshole for a moment. What is everyone's expectations for this card? We go old man first. I went Matt first last time. Well, I've said this before on this show. So I had a phase during the first lockdown of watching a load of paid views in a row. Didn't get this far. And there's a reason I didn't get this far. It's because they were very, uh, to use an American phrase, they were very cookie cutter. The pay-per-views where you'd have four or five matches underneath inconsequential. You might get a little record in there, but they were quite few and far between. And then definitely the main event, possibly the, the semi-final spot. You'd probably have some the of these in there. The semi-final spot. <laughs> the semi-final, not, not the co-main event. No, That's... well, because I was going to say co-main event. And I was like, yeah, but that's not fair, is it? Because as Matt said, there's only one main event. So they're in the semi-final. The third match down is the quarter-final. And like right. the opening match is like the preliminary rounds in the FA Cup. <laughs> they're starting like <laughs> September. But yeah, I was, um, you know you're going to get an Austin match. I knew that. Triple H and China are on the poster thing on the network. And I was like, 
I'm going to have to watch China wrestle. But I thought, well, I'll get to see, uh, see Triple H. I was hoping The Rock as well. And I was guessing that Stone Cold and The Undertaker would be involved with each other, as they were for what felt, what felt like about nine years at the time. But I was uh, I was optimistic for the last two, for the semi-final and the final. But the opening rounds, I was indifferent, much like most cup competitions. What about yourself, Matt? My expectations were actually quite high for this. Like, like you said, Tom, you know, we, we are balls deep into the Attitude Era at this point. And I think, as almost everybody knows, you know, the Attitude Era is... To a lot of people, the most celebrated period in, in the history of wrestling ever. To to a lot of people, is the best. Whatever, that's you know subject to opinion. But I figured that oh, we'd see. Oh, we can't <laughs> let that pass, Matt. That's a that's a big old dick swing to say that you don't agree. Before you know, I could agree. I'm just not saying that I do or I don't. <laughs> well, also we all know that 1987 to 1989 is the best era in all of wrestling. So we know that anyway. <laughs> Um, do you know what, though? It's interesting you say that, because it depends on what, how you define the Attitude Era. Because if you think of it as, like, 97 to, like, 2001, there's an argument, I think, to be had that, like, shortly afterwards, it's really fucking good as well. Yeah. Like that, you know, when you... but Because I think because there, there's still elements of the Attitude Era storyline-wise, but you've also got all of, like, some really good wrestlers in there which there aren't that many like technical like wrestlers i don't think of like angle really as being part of the attitude era i don't think of jericho i don't think of like some of these emerging people you got through then obviously you got like the radicals you got you get like edge coming through you know you and you get so you get a lot of really good people and then, then you get like some of the influx of the wcw people like uh booker t's and stuff like that coming through so it there, there's an argument to be had that the, the period after um the attitude era is is maybe not necessarily, it's certainly not better in terms of, it's certainly not as hot as it was during like the peak of the Attitude Era, but you could definitely argue that probably the match quality is better. I mean, for me, Attitude Era peaked, the, Attitude Era peaked the second Austin shook Vince's hand. That's the close of the Attitude Era. The second that happened, that's it. If 17. That's, that's interesting. So in terms of my kind of thoughts on expectations i would definitely have been watching the show at the time i definitely would have seen this uh very shortly after it happened but i must admit i can't remember much about it to be honest but as it's 1999 like similar to similar to what old man said i know the main event will include austin and either the undertaker or kane that was basically what was happening in 1999 the, i thought the undercard or like the co-main event slot as i or the semi-main events uh will it would have some star power to a point some kind of emerging stars such as like the, the rock and foley although i i must admit i kind of got my timeline a little bit confused because for some reason i hadn't equated the fact that it was 1999 therefore the rock had already won the world championship mm-hmm. so in my before i started watching this i still kind of thought of him as an upper mid carder rather than a main eventer like he was um so i knew that there might be something involving the rock maybe foley triple h and there'll be some decent undercard workers such as uh, ken shamrock dealey brown x-pack and so i was quite quite interested to see what what stage it was really Really. But I also knew there are going to be some things that don't hold up very well, mm. specifically some some commentary, dare I say, uh, that won't hold up very well in through a 2022 lens. Anyway, we're talking about Fully Loaded. It took place in the Marine Midland Arena in Buffalo, New York, upstate New York, on the 25th of July, 1999. The attendance was uh, 16,505, and Triple H and China, as you said, old man, are on the poster. Let's go to talking points first. And so uh, we'll go, Matt. What's your, what's your talking point for the show? Apologies in advance if anybody has the main event. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, and it's not it's not the main event as such. It's it's the post match actually. So Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the Undertaker. Sorry, that's good. I, I'll go through the end quickly before we before we carry on because I put a lot of work into transcribing this fucking ending. You, you so, go for it, but that's fucking. So it's Steve Austin versus the Undertaker for uh, the WWF title. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the champion at the time. There is a first blood match. There's a stipulation in place that if Austin loses, he will never get a shot at the WWF title, and if Vincent Mann. Uh, no, even if The Undertaker wins, sorry, Vincent Mann will never be seen again in the WWF. So that could have actually happened this week. Um, <laughs> but the match ends. Vincent Mann is on commentary. Vincent Mann tries to jump, and he's also got on crutches, which is a lovely touch. Um, he tries to hit Austin with the crutch, and Austin then decks him. JR then goes, down with the man. Down with the man. <laughs> Look, he's trying to get a chant going. Um, X-Pac then comes down and kicks a chair into the Undertaker's face. Stone Cold Steve Austin then hits the Undertaker with a TV camera, which causes the Undertaker to bleed. At this stage, Shane McMahon has also come down already, and he then decks Shane McMahon. The Undertaker's bleeding, but referee Earl Hebner has been knocked down at this point and can't quite see. So the Undertaker then gets Stone Cold Steve Austin up for a tombstone, and at which point the referee sees the blood running down the Undertaker's face, and calls for the bell. And then, and then it was a lovely, lovely old job. So the Undertaker then just punches the referee as well. Yes. So, so uh, that's the end of the match. Uh, so obviously Vince Man is off and Stone Cold Steve Austin has retained the WWF Heavyweight Championship. Matt. Do you know, when I first watched this, I actually thought that it was a fix that this show was picked simply because of the commentary from JR at the end, talking about how this is goodbye, Vince, goodbye mm-hmm. to the company his father yes. built. I would just laugh in my head off thinking this this couldn't have been accident, but hey, who knows? Not that I'm a conspiracy theorist or anything. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go into the match very quickly because you know what? It's not gonna take me long. And this may surprise some people, it may not. Cards on the table, I thought this match was shit. It was really, really bad. It was boring. I felt that the crowd in some respects didn't care, particularly when you compare it to the post-match, because the post-match, the crowd were on their feet. They were absolutely batshit for everything that happened. Austin's, you know, giving the stunner to everybody. You know, Vince coming in, Shane running down, you know, Triple H running down, Rock running down. It was it was just absolutely pandemonium that the people loved. But the match itself was just... And I talked about this a couple of times, especially over the last couple of weeks, because we've had, we've had a bit of a run of sort of stipulation matches where... A good stipulation, it needs to add to the match instead of detracting from it. And I honestly felt that the first blood thing kind of detracted from it. You know, instead of you you getting your near falls, you've got a, you know, there'll be a weapon shot or something. And and similar to when we discussed, you know, the, the ring of fire match, once you've seen the fire and you've seen the special effect, oh, that's cool. And, and then what? You know, it's like, oh, OK, I've seen him hit him with a camera or I've seen him hit him with a chair or something like that to try and bust him open. It didn't work. Oh, OK. So match quality wise, it didn't do it for me. I mean, the one thing I will say, and for me, the star of the match was Earl fucking Hebner, just for how unbelievably well he sold that finish. You know, as soon as, you know, Taker has, you know, going for the tombstone, Earl catches his face and it's you're literally like, oh, there it is. And you just think, ah, he's got him. And you know that that's the first. So that was great. So yeah, the, the, the post-match, like I said, I, I thought was amazing. But the, the match itself, uh, what I know Austin can do and what I can know Undertaker can do, wow, god awful. That's interesting because I love this match. I really, really enjoyed it. I was completely 
all in on it. Like there's just like so many things that are happening in the match that like, I really appreciate. It. So for example, I love the fact that Vince came out and got on to, got, on, got on commentary and made Howard Finkel announce that he was being the commentator on the match because that that does nothing. Him being on commentary does nothing for the fans, but because they hate him so much, it gets a great reaction from the crowd. I love the fact that The Undertaker was walking backstage to the ring. And as we'll kind of discuss as we go throughout the show, he's already been busted open at one point in the show. And he's coming down to the ring. And I love the fact that he's not wearing his fucking Undertaker cloak or anything like that. I love the fact that he's like, no, I've just come down here to kick ass now. I never thought that was really great. And also his fucking Ministry of Darkness oh, Undertaker music amazing. is so good oh, as well. It's, it's just fucking amazing. Yeah, oh. it's just brilliant. And then, and for Vincent Mann on commentary, I really enjoyed Vincent Mann on commentary because mm. it was a bit like at the beginning where, like, um, where Jr. asked him, he's like, "What do you think will happen if you don't win this match?" And he's like, "I won't allow myself to think about that because I'm a positive person. All I think about <laughs> is positivity. It's so great." And all the time, fucking Jerry Lawler is properly licking his ass throughout the entire match, and I really, really enjoyed it. The fucking glass breaks and the fucking pop is huge, despite the fact that Austin's already been out that night. The pop is enormous. And I thought it was great. The, the fact they just started fighting in the aisle, just intensity. They just went for it straight away. These two hate each other, so they're going they're going in straight away. And one thing I did think is that it took a long time for them to get in the ring. They're in, they were fighting in the aisle and around the surrounding parts of the arena and the ring for about five minutes before they actually got inside the ring, which I think, at, again, we can discuss this further on, but it happens quite a lot in this show so you can imagine that if you're in the arena you'd be like i can't really see anything i'm relying on either the action taking place somewhere near to me or i've got to look at the look at the screen to do it and i don't know about you matt and me and old man have definitely had this conversation before once i've started looking at the screen it's almost impossible to stop i find like yeah. watching live wrestling but it's great and i also kept thinking to myself all the time about like the how difficult I, I was i was kind of worried throughout the entire match not in a kayfabe way but in like a, how do you make sure you don't bleed what do you do to make sure that you don't accidentally get bust get busted open and and fuck everything up and that kind of added to the peril a little bit for me but again like vince man on commentary kept saying austin's busted open he's busted open and he's clearly not but it's just great and the bit where um taker is stalking austin with like a chair outside the ring and like swinging hell for leather and missing and then austin counters that into a drop toad hole was mint and what you said about oh heaven no matt is absolutely right because he properly is like sticking his beacon all the time whenever there's a moment you could just see him properly sticking his head around to check if there's bleeding or whatever and i thought he was brilliant we'll go on to what actually happens in the post-match after but in terms of the actual bell to bell i i really really enjoyed this match uh old man I did as well. I'm not a not a first blood match kind of guy, but both Austin and Undertaker are busted open before, and I think that sorry and that stitched is, up just to let you, just to qualify yeah. that as well. They they are yeah stitched up, so they're not bleeding as they come down. No, and it that really added to the match because there is, and you said it. There's this like peril. There's this danger, and I'm like, how are they going to do this? Like, because Austin's thing, Austin's not got any hair that people have noticed but yeah so he's not got anything that can cover it if the undertaker's cut split a little bit he could probably as long as it's not pissing blood he could probably do something with it and just push it back into his hair and kind of manage it but it's been master... such a long time since you've had hair on man that you've forgotten the hair isn't really that absorbent it's not like a towel <laughs> on the top of your head oh, is it not My, yes. mine was me Oh, when I had hair, mate, it was luxurious and thick. You'd dry yourself with your hair, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. The master stroke is Vince McMahon on commentary. 
because he adds so much to the match in that he is, to your point, Tommy, he is constantly going, Austin's bleeding. Is Austin bleeding? Is Austin bleeding? And you know what? Austin is bleeding, but it's protected by the plaster. And when I noticed that, I was like, oh, my God, how are they going to do this? I thought it was pretty well put together match. I do kind of agree with you, Matt, now, in that I was oddly invested in this. But if I wasn't, especially because of the match in the semi-final spot, I would have been very nonplussed by it because they are very similar matches. Only one's got a strap on and the other one's for a strap. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought this was cracking because also uh, I think the afterwards as well makes it. But also just before we get into that, what you said about the crown as well is 100% correct. They are waiting. All they want is Austin and McMahon. They don't give a shit about Undertaker. And we talked about this, and I can't remember the show, and it's Undertaker Kane with Stone Cold as the guest referee, and I can't remember the show. And the crowd, all the crowd are waiting for is Austin to do something. That's all they're waiting for. And all they're waiting for is for Vince McMahon to get involved. And that's not to the detriment of this match, but that's why I can understand exactly why you were a bit like, eh, um, quickly go through the end. Uh, what happens after the match kind of finishes and the shenanigans that take place after the match. Uh, after uh, Taker has hit uh, Earl Hebner, Stone Cold then hits the stunner uh, on the Undertaker. Then uh, and then Vince who gets into the ring. Then Triple H comes down and starts attacking Austin. Uh, the Rock then comes down to attack Triple H and they brawl off. Uh, Taker then hits Austin with a chair and Stone Cold is now absolutely pissing blood as well at the moment um and they carry on fighting the taker then hits shane mcmahon by accident yes and the agents and the refs break the fight up uh, but austin runs to the ring uh to get to the undertaker and they brought up the aisle a little bit more um they then uh, after that um austin then gets in the ring and vincent man is looking lucky like looking like a man who's just lost his job to be honest and austin comes and shakes his hand and then stuns him does his little f- middle finger salute in the middle of the ring and then a touch that i absolutely love absolutely just collapses to the ground like he's just mm. put everything into this match he then gets up and starts uh you know doing his doing his usual stick in, in the ring and and get hitting all four corners which again i absolutely fucking loved i i got to the end of that and i was like Do you know what that was fucking mint all of it. I loved it. It took me back to being what I would have been, would have been that old man, 17. In 99? Yeah. You, you'd have been 15. Yeah, yeah exactly. 15. Close enough. Yeah, exactly. I, and I just watched it and it just took me back to that. And I fucking mm. had such a great time. Um, So, Matt, what was it you wanted to specifically talk about in that bit? I mean, like, I just thought that the, the, the overall post-match was the, the best thing. Um, Like I said, the, the match was just such a letdown. And I just felt that the, the post-match saved it. And mm. you know, may as well say it now. I, I can't say this show was a particular favourite of mine. And this post-match saved it for me. You know, I, I remember watching it and then I just thought, you know, by the time it finished, and I actually sat through right to the very end as I've been warned to Good lad. keep <laughs> doing. I know, sat right through. And I just thought, bloody hell. I was like, okay, that's that was actually really good. At least... All the all the shenanigans. Shen- can I say it? What is it with me and not being able to pronounce fucking words? Shenanigans. There we go. I said that when I nailed it. Um, it's so all the shenanigans at the end. Just just made it and at least let me you know sort of leave the show thinking ah that was all right. I mean don't get me wrong in hindsight. Mm, okay maybe not but um at, at least at first I was like okay that that was cool. 
that's the beauty of much of the Attitude Era, is that they are able to, especially watching back those shows from 98, like I did the other year, like a lot of the post-match stuff in the main events saves it, saves a lot of these shows because they're moments. Like this is a fucking moment. Like you said about The Undertaker walloping Shane McMahon, he don't do it on, by accident. He says in the video, he's like, he don't give a shit about the McMahons. He don't give a shit. He just wants his title back. I just thought it's just great because everyone's everyone's just all in it for themselves. No one's friends. Even DX, they're having trouble. Yeah. Brilliant. My my thing about the the post match actually, I want to quickly talk about the um the 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 pre match video actually. You know, I'm glad you mm. mentioned that old man. The pre match video is great because I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, why the fuck would Austin accept the first blood match? That seems like a stupid stipulation. And he they say in the video package that Austin had a first blood match before and he lost it as a result, direct result of the actions of the Undertaker who interfered and then like kicked accident inadvertently kicked the chair into his face. So that's why he accepted it, which gave a little bit of like credibility as to why he would get involved in this in the first place mm-hmm. which i thought was really good and, as, and they talk about this various footage of austin getting busted open you know on raw and stuff like that and there's a bit where he's fighting the undertaker and he's got a lovely banter trying to head. <laughs> it's absolutely tremendous what i wanted to quickly mention actually about this uh, main event and what i just loved is that it kind of ties everything together in the card there's reasons. Mm-hmm. Triple H comes down because of the reasons why, which we'll find out when we discuss it later. The Rock comes down because of the reasons why. It just all makes sense. Everything's all tied up together in a nice little neat bow. And that it just makes everything feel that, that it feels like there are consequences to things happening, which I feel mm-hmm. is a real problem with, with the current state of products. It doesn't seem like anything means anything, but you can directly tie up why some things have happened throughout this card and why people are doing the actions that they do. And that's what made that bit for me particularly so great. So, my talking point is nothing to do with the wrestling on this show. I want to talk about the music. Oh, yes. For the wrestlers. So, I was already, when I'm watching the show, I'm like, this fucking music. So, we get the opener, get Jeff Jarrett's music, which is fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, the Hardy Boys is kind of all right. You got D'Lo Browns. You're looking at the real deal now. Ooh. What I love about Dino Brown's music is I'm a I'm a big hip hop fan. I've listened to a lot of rapping in my time. I can't figure out if the guy's just saying random things or if he's rapping. <laughs> it, I just can't get my head around it. It blows my mind every time I listen to it. You sound like an old person listening to hip hop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't figure out if he's rapping or just saying things. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> Yeah, and then you've got the Big Boss Man's music, which I always enjoyed. Al Snow's, which is fucking nuts. Because it's the, what does everybody want, head? And then there's just this woman comes in, like, ah, <laughs> It reminds me of, this is a reference that probably only about four people there still will get. But there's a, on the David Bowie album side, uh, album side, on the David <laughs> Bowie album outside, there's this thing where he's doing like a woman's voice and it sounds exactly like that. And I was like, this is fucking weird. You've got Keynes, which is always cracking. Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman's. I mean, forget the match. Fucking hell. Then got the DX music. They're kind of white. Triple H music's amazing. You've just heard it so, so many times. Yeah, that's it. Triple H's goat music. It is music. Absolutely incredible. Stone Cold goes to us in and the undertaker's ministry music and i was like my god what a fucking lineup that is and i thought oh i wonder if there were any um any dark matches oh well funny enough you mentioned that yeah i was gonna bring that up but yeah go ahead yeah so there's three which last a combined under eight minutes <laughs> but yeah you've got 
Christian versus Viscera. Now, this is an unfortunately Christian period, way before that. We've got Viscera. I'm hoping it was. It won't have been his world's largest love machine music, so we don't get that. I think because Midian and the mm-hmm. Acolytes have got the same music, because yeah. they're in the Ministry of Darkness, so I imagine it'll probably be that. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. Yeah. He, was, he, was, he also lost as well, Viscera. But yeah, then you've got The Godfather. I mean, come on. If it's being performed by Ice-T at WrestleMania <laughs> 2000, then I'm in. Uh, me, I can't remember his music. And then you've got Val Venus. First match on the whole evening. Against... Val Venus and Joey Abs. Yeah. Can you imagine how good that was? The Well, the thing is, mate, they were all broadcast on the Sunday Night Heat beforehand. So you can live of that. Of course they were. Mottos. Oh, Matt, you know, I might do that, actually. <laughs> I'm going to be back in, I'm going to be back in eight <laughs> minutes and watch these three yeah. matches. You're and right. Uh, there, there's some banging music there going on there. Yeah. It just, I mean, we've, and Matt will realise this, I think, as we go through the show. We have a warmth for this period because it's our period. Oh, the music, just everything. You've got Michael Hayes looking like someone's granddad <laughs> wrestling in one of the matches. I mean, come on. It's it's one of those where, you know, I've probably got an affinity for a lot of stuff, you know, sort of 2002, 2003 related, mm. but I, I some of the music on this. Oh, Jesus. Steve Blackman, are you, are you really? Oh, you know, it, caught, it completely caught me off guard this music. And we'll, we'll, explain, we'll explain why. Yeah. later but his music really caught me off guard when it kicked in uh, but you're right the thing that i really like about it is that there's don't go wrong there's a lot of generic metal is in there as a wrestler well. mode yeah it's big deal you're right you're right you're 100 there but the the thing that i i like about all the entrance music is that they generally it generally tends to suit the character like mm-hmm. big boss man's is a bit no nonsense val venus is a sexy we all know that so sexy um house nose is nuts Dilo Brown's got a bit of swagger to it. Austin sounds kick-ass. Triple H is My Time, This is not, that's, which is mm. the song. It's not a motorhead. It's My Time by presumably the DX band. is amazing. The DX music always fucking slaps. It's amazing. There's just so... There is a lot of good music on there, but the highlight has got to go to Jeff Charis because it's down, <laughs> down, 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 down. So, and, then, and then the fucking bass kicks in. Oh, oh it's fantastic. That's the thing, man. Shit, it's a shit song, but it perfectly suits his character because Jeff Jarrett is shit, so and he thinks he's really good. So it's that it's it's perfect. I love it. It is, which which is why I think his TNA theme, My World. If you haven't heard that YouTube Jeff Jarrett, My World, that is Jeff Jarrett. His reign atop uh, TNA was equivalent to the Triple H reign of terror, and that theme song just fully encapsulated there. So whenever I think of Jeff, I think of that theme. Do you know what? Talk about themes. Again, I'm going to digress a little bit now, Matt. It's not all you, you're not the only one that can digress, you know. I was thinking about this the other day, because the old man knows how, and you probably know from hearing the podcast, Matt, that I hate Adam Cole baby thing. I hate it. It does my head in because he's a heel. He shouldn't be getting the crowd to sing along and share them. I feel massively the same about Jericho as a heel using Judas still. He should not be using Judas anymore. And having the crowd sing along to a theme song, it, it, it's something that I fundamentally disagree with because you shouldn't be wanting people to have a good time in the crowd unless he they go out of their way to make it so it, it 
massively feeding his ego, which it obviously is in real life. But I just don't, I don't think you should be wanting that. That's why I loved when they added lyrics to Shinsuke Nakamura's music when he turned heel. Mm. So it made it difficult for people to sing along the violin bit for it. Like it just does. Yeah, I just don't like it. Fuck off, fuck off, Jericho. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. You probably should have got rid of it, but it's just one of those where it's. It, it 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 is his entrance now, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, as long as he's not in WWE, that's his entrance. That's what fans know him as, and it's mm. that's just what he's gonna do. Do you know what? they they keep talking about him being like the sports entertainer and stuff like that? He should fucking come down to break down the walls. That would be amazing mm. in AEW if he came down to that, and that would, he would get so much fucking heat for that if he changed his music to his WWE music. It'd be amazing. Or, or if he came down to Vince McMahon's old music. Oh. <laughs> no chance. Of, or if he came down to the Hall of Fame music. The da 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 da. I listened to the Hall of Fame podcast and I've had that music stuck in my head for oh, days. So thank I you. Know. For that. Yeah, you can thank Tinky for that. And I'll tell you what, mm, I'll get you, guarantee you, he'll say, you're welcome, because it is an yeah. absolute banger. So have we got any more thoughts about the music in general? Because, uh, yeah, I think I've given mine across. I've got a question, question for you, Mac. So sure. you mentioned 2002, 2003. Yeah. And you know what, Tommy, you could have this as well. I know it's we're on the spot, so we're not going to hold anyone to it. What's your favourite theme? Intro- Sorry. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> it might not be 2000 it might be 2003 the undertaker's you're gonna pay what is that the dead man walking absolutely love that when he i think it was the jim johnson version where they it was really funny because they went through a lot of versions of that song live on pay-per-view as well his very first time coming out to it was the most generic track ever at judgment day 2002 <laughs> i remember it so well because it's like what the fuck is this and then it, sl- it slowly started to evolve it was kind of just a guitar theme during his big evil 2003 run and then when he started to go towards the you know red devil big evil thing it was the you know you've done it now you've gone and made this big mistake amazing love that so are we going how what years did you say old man oh no it could be any year any year of all time ever yeah 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 okay well that's, uh, there's a lot but i I'm a big fan of Eugene's. Yes. <laughs> big fan of Eugene's. We, oh man, we've had this conversation, but we we love Eugene. We love that was Owen Hart's that you just did. Yeah, I know. I realised um, that when I started. <laughs> yeah, we lo- we love Eugene. We love Owen Hart. We love Valvinus. We love The Godfather. We love Sexual Chocolate. There's so many phenomenal, mm. phenomenal things, mate. Honestly, Matt, listen. Treat yourself later on. Have a nice, have a nice candlelit bath and listen yes. to Sexual Chocolate, and you'll have a lovely time. I don't quite know what to think of Eugene, and especially like. <laughs> You know, without just being called a dick and being insensitive to, to people with disabilities or anything. I, I don't quite know what to think. I'm going to be honest as well. I don't think anyone likes Eugene because I think, <laughs> and I don't think that's because people don't like him because he was playing someone with learning difficulties. I think it's because people were, even I was at the time, I was a bit like, this is quite offensive. This, like, this is really quite rude. But when you've got that theme song, it's kind of like, well, you can kind of do whatever the fuck you want, to be honest. Well, and the other thing is as well, his terrible taste, we all know this, but you've got to give a fucking shout out to Nick Dinsmore's performance mm-hmm. because he fucking, again, he throws everything into that character. Like, it's it's, it's such awful taste, but he fucking goes for it, doesn't he? And he used to be in a tag team with uh, Rob Conway called Lords of the Ring. In about 2004? Mm. Yeah, about the summer of 2004, 
He was the most overperformer on the show. We watched a pay-per-view, didn't we, where he was basically the focal point of it in the feud yeah. between Chris Benoit and Triple H. It's amazing. He has, he has a tag match with Ric Flair against someone. It's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers. The one disappointing thing in the music is the acolytes because they don't have their... Yeah, they don't have that music. It's rubbish. Um, <laughs> So um, that's a cracking talk point, lads. I, I really enjoyed both. Then I am just gonna go. I'm gonna go really simple. My talk point is just the, is that nostalgia feeling that I got when I was watching it. I loved it from the second the the weird WWF jingle starts at the beginning. I was 15 all over again, or however old old Mantello was. Like I was, I was loving it, and I just. I love the fact that like every arena looks different. There's a set the different setup to the ramp for every different show. It doesn't all look the same. It feels and the crowd are so fucking hot at the beginning of this. Like they're just they're so into it. And I just I just love the entire aesthetics of the thing. But what I will say, I'm gonna go a little bit about commentary on here Ooh, as yeah. well. With the exception of the first match, I thought Jerry Lawler's commentary was actually quite good. Uh, throughout this throughout this entire pay per view, there's a couple of highlights. Obviously, the bits where he's talking about um, puppies, etc. Again, like I said, we'll cover. But there's a bit in in the match. There's a tag match in this in which he comes across as the measured one, and Jim Ross comes across as a bit misogynistic, accidentally, mm. where they're talking about China, and it's a mixed tag match. In fact, we'll cover the match, shall we? Yeah. The match is Mr. Ass and China versus Road Dog and X Pack, and it's for the naming rights. DX, which is uh, I didn't think I'd heard any matches involving that you know that kind of uh, stipulation before. And the match goes uh, for 11 uh, minutes and 44 seconds. And uh, Road Dog and X Pac win after Road Dog bums Billy Gunn for a little bit and then hits him with a pump handle slam. The bit that I wanted to kind of discuss about quickly before going into the match is there's a bit where Jim Ross is basically That's saying good. you can't imagine China in a kitchen cooking biscuits. You know, you'd imagine yeah. she'd be out in, uh, out in the garage and she'll be like fixing the oil in your car or something like that. And um, the king goes, well, she's she's a wrestler. That's all. That's all she is. And I was like, this is weird. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? I'm, into. I'm in bizarro world where Jr. is the misogynist unintentionally. I think he's trying yeah. to put over her sex, but by basically saying that she's a man, and then mm-hmm. he's like, no, she's she's not. You know, don't need to worry about the fact that she's a man or woman. She's a wrestler. And I was like. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell! Look at fucking woke the woke king over here back in 1999. There's a quote here, right? That I, I honestly, I was really expecting him to bring this quote up there, right? I'm glad you didn't, because I'll, I'll I'll give the quote now, right? Because it stuck out so much to me more than almost anything of the show. And I am quoting Jim Ross verbatim, talking about China. That's a ride she won't forget, and it wasn't uh-huh. even doggy style. Yeah, oh, yes. That is an exact quote. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can guarantee you he was fed that line because I can't imagine. Jim Ross is a missionary man. (laughs) Nothing flashy. (laughs) Oh, he's just like, right, strap in. Yeah, missionary man. I'll be done in a minute. (laughs) Let me get the the barbecue sauce. Just hear him say wrestlers as well. Like the amount of times I hear the word wrestlers, I was like, Wow, what are they? So what was what was interesting about this? So for start, Billy Gunn's attire is very weird. Seeing his thong is not idea. He's wearing basically net kind of net shorts with a thong underneath, which was, I'll be honest, quite eye-opening, brown eye-opening, some might say. <laughs> um, and what was quite funny, what I quite liked about it is that the, the commentary did a pretty good job in describing why they're kind of fighting over the rights. And it's that Road Dog and X-Pac are all about the DX way of life, if you will, and... Billy Gunn and uh, well, Mr. Ass, should I say, and China 
are all about the revenue and the branding. <laughs> so it's like they just want to earn money off it, which I thought was quite a nice touch. Uh, X-Pac is selling his injuries from earlier in the night and does not look up for the match at all, which I thought was gr- a great little touch from Big Sean Waltman. And it was it was it was an all right match. It was like I said, it was eleven minutes. Like it was considering it's a mixed gender match in nineteen ninety nine, I didn't think that it was it was that bad. And the events of earlier are going into this match, i.e. the fact that X Pac is coming into it a bit walking wounded. Um and one thing I will say is the crowd go fucking nuts for a um hot tag on uh, mm-hmm. on Billy Gunn. But unfortunately it happens to be where he's just punching China in the face repeatedly and the crowd are going mad for it. And they also love X Pac hitting the Bronco Buster, which again was a bit of a weird thing to see. Something that didn't hold up particularly well. But overall I didn't think that match was too bad, to be honest. I was expecting much worse going in. And the fact that there was a little storyline going into it, regardless as to how little it meant, I uh yeah, I thought it was okay. I thought it was very dull, I must say. I didn't really I didn't care. I think that's the trouble. Well, I really appreciated the fact that Billy Gunn was wearing what he was wearing because it's heel. It's easy. He's not wearing his Mr. Ass stuff. He's not wearing any bright colours. And the whole thing is, is that they're um, they're going up against DX. And like you said, Tommy, they're not DX. They don't bleed DX. They want the bare buns. Don't blame them, to be honest. I'll bet they make tons of money off that. But uh, yes, they're not wearing anything green or anything like that. Because X-Park is sporting some injuries before he goes into the match. He just gets beat up for about eight minutes. And I got about five minutes in, I was like, it's going on a bit, isn't it? And we know Mr. Ass is the best pure athlete in WWE today. Damn right. Which he didn't say. No. And China is not good. I wouldn't have anyone say any different because she's just not good. And that's, I think at this point, she's probably been wrestling for about six months. So I'm not surprised she's not very good. And she's in there with some safe hands in Road Dog and X-Pac. Road Dog, nothing flashy. X-Pac is tremendous. But up until the hot tag, I was a bit, I used the word coma-inducing a little <laughs> bit, to be honest, because it's going on and on. But I also, in a weird way, I didn't really have a problem with the crowd popping while Road Dog was popping off on China, because I think they, the whole thing, and I think this goes back to what the King says, She's portrayed as equal. And I think that's a very important distinction between it's China here. If it was Ivory or Tory in there, I think it's very different just because they're, very, they're built very differently. And I think they're very much just put, pushing her as a wrestler. And everyone's wrestlers, so they can just have a little wrestle. But there's a crack in the last 30 seconds in this. But until then, I don't really go a lot on it. But as I've said before, if you get a good finish... You don't remember the arduous sex before, do you? <laughs> That's exactly true. <laughs> um, Matt, what are your thoughts? Do you know what? I, I think, oh man, you, you hit the nail on the head. And I think coma-inducing is is probably <laughs> a word that I'd use to to describe this one. It's just, oh man, it just, it just did nothing for me. It, it was cool to see how unbelievably over Road Dog is. And don't get me wrong, the guy has charisma for days. So that was cool. But wow, is, it, is he just really not that good? The, the match for me was, it was pretty much, they, they may as well just have Road Dog versus China. Because that felt like the main two people that they cared about. I'll, I'll be honest, I will put my cards on the table. I'm not for intergender wrestling, man v. woman. That's a hot topic for another day. But bring it to bed now, it, it isn't for me. I think you said a really good point there, old man, in that 
if they're portrayed as equals, then that's one thing, and that's great. But when you've got X Park doing the Bronco Buster, you know, I, I can't remember if he did, you know, but Road Dog trying to give it the pump handle and you know making it look like he's humping her at one point. I just think ah. Fuck that. I, I know it was a it was a different time, but I don't think it was even acceptable then. China is not good. I, I've only seen a, um, a handful a handful of China's matches. And yeah, from, from what I've seen, they're, they're not that great. So I, I can't say this match bowled me away. It, it was what it was. It was, you know, it, it was okay. I mean, it, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know what else to say, to be honest. That's fair enough. So those are our three talking points. Um, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break and then we will run through the rest of the card back in just a moment after this thrilling promo. Rock tonight, fully loaded strap match. You and Triple H to determine the number one contender for the WWF Championship. Michael Cole, The Rock says, know your role and shut your mouth. Nice shirt, 25 cents. The Rock says, Triple H, you go on Sunday Night Heat, you do your little interview with Jim Ross, and you cry like a baby. Well, yeah, yeah, they sit there and they kept me down for five years. For five years, they kept me at the bottom of the barrel. Well, The Rock says, they didn't keep you at the bottom of the barrel just because you wanted to say goodbye to your Rudy Pooh friends in Madison Square Garden. No, The Rock says, they kept you at the bottom of the barrel because you absolutely suck. And on top of all that... And on top of all that, The Rock says that you run your mouth in four weeks, 28 days. I'm going to SummerSlam, and I'm taking what I want, the WWF title. Well, The Rock says in 28 seconds, The Rock is going to give you exactly what you don't want. And that's The Rock taking that strap, turning it sideways, and sticking it straight up your candy ass. Triple H, The Rock says he is the people's champ. The Rock says he is the people's choice, and The Rock is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most electrifying man in sports entertainment, period. If you smell what The Rock... is cooking. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning back in <laughs> after that promo. The show starts off with their pretty cool opening montage showing Austin, the Austin McMahon feud with lots of old-timey footage of various people, such as Babe Ruth retiring. Then we get a bit new metal and it gets a bit bloody with someone at the end saying, it's the end of an era, whoever that is. Welcomed by the pyro and then Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler introduce themselves as our commentary team for the night. They then talk about a shocking development from Heat where JR was interviewing Stone Cold Steve Austin backstage who then got attacked by The Undertaker and gets busted open ear to ear while Vince McMahon watches on with his crutches. We then find out that there's a first ma- uh, first blood match later, and the uh, EMTs are saying Austin needs stitches. And Austin says, you better do something, you son of a bitch, to the poor EMT. <laughs> yeah. Which, I'm not going to lie, really popped me. And which is why <laughs> that person who uh, fixed Austin's head is my uh, MVP. Lovely. Cool, the son of a bitch. Yeah, he's my yeah. MVP. Have you guys got anything uh, that you wanted to talk about those? those few opening gambits the main thing for me is when they first go to the arena there's someone with a sign that says kevin kelly's fan club <laughs> amazing and i was like i enjoyed that and then i remembered who kevin kelly was and i was like that's not kevin dunn that makes sense <laughs> it's kevin kelly <laughs> the hermaphrodite yeah he loves it doesn't he? I, I tell you what, i bet he's a phenomenal lover though very selfless 
Yeah, very yeah. selfless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we go backstage and Michael Cole, a young Michael Cole, didn't have his frosted tips, which I was a bit disappointed by. He approaches uh, Vince Man and Shane and accuses Vince Man being behind the attack. Shane and Vince then deny, and you can hear the crowd chanting "asshole" already. And he's not even in the arena. Magnificent heat. Vince then guarantees that Austin will never, ever, ever, two ever's after the first never be WWF champion again. Well, he says he'll never be champion again, and he does say again, and you're like, but he's champion now <laughs> okay yeah i see where you go with that but also that is the whole story i must say with that come back to the video package i really like the weird stuff i was just like this is just weird it's really appreciated that it's just a bit odd i also kind of appreciate it in a weird way because i don't really like this normally it meant i didn't have a clue what else was on the card i was like you know what normally i'd be like ah come on give me a little bit more but this is 999 it's stone cold Spins my man. That's all you need. Yeah, definitely. So the opening match is a battle between uh, Jerry the King Lawler and his boner. Um... <laughs> Or at least that's what it would be if you only listen to the commentary. <coughs> the actual match is Edge, who is the Intercontinental Champion, versus Jeff Jarrett with Deborah. And now I think you can kind of see where the old uh, Jerry Lawler's boner thing comes into mm. it. Basically, the previous night on a house show, uh, Edge beat Jeff Jarrett for the championship. So again, there's a, what I quite like about this, there's a reason for this match to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine it was probably just chucked on the card last minute because there would be no reason for them to wrestle before. But by having mm. him win, uh, I think it's, it's a surprise match as well. Um, I think Ken Shamrock was supposed to wrestle Jeff Jarrett uh, but couldn't because he had transportation issues <laughs> so he couldn't make it so Edge stepped in won the title which I believe was in a uh, house show in Canada in the Sky Dome yeah yeah, massive yeah which blew show. my mind it's just a nice touch they had a reason for the ma- this match to happen and the match goes on for 13 minutes and 23 seconds Edge hits a spear and then Deborah gets onto the ring apron to try and seduce Edge Edge then falls into Deborah, which distracts the referee. Gangrel, who was turned up at this point in the match, um, then pulls Edge's throat over the top rope. I don't know what people call it. I think they usually say like they've been hung up or hung up on the top rope or something. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Then Jeff Jarrett hits a weird forward-falling side Russian leg sweep and wins the, the stroke to TNA fans. Is that what it was called? The stroke? Oh, that's stroke. Awesome. Well, it depends actually what kind of stroke, I suppose. <laughs> if you like give him a kick, well, because he's got one hand free, so you could probably reach across and give him a quick hand job. Oh, but the- then if he did that, Edge would have a boner and he pushes him down. The boner gets crushed. He's like, <laughs> oh, his boner well. goes through his hands, like, you know, the crucifixion oh. <laughs> through his palm. After the match, uh, JJ grabs a microphone and says he's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. I believe the honky tonk man would probably disagree with that. But uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this match? These two very quick um, sort of commentary comments by Jerry the King Lawler that I very need to quickly get out of the way because that really pissed me off at the start, <laughs> to be honest, and, and really detracted from the match. Did it? Were you watching it going, don't? piss me off oh, like honest, Jeff Jarrett it was just so annoying like Jerry I mean I don't know how old he was then but he just comes across as a lonely teenager at the start you know and he's going puppies puppy puppy you know puppies he's, and I've literally and I've written down he really is a dog with two dicks and, and then later on King loves beavers that was another thing he came up with you know some wonderful delight which I just put huh, King is a teenage virgin so <laughs> the, 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 those comments there just detracted from it but the match itself wasn't really that great either (laughs) 
I tell you what it did hammer home is how long Edge has... <laughs> People forget that Edge has been there for a long time. I was really surprised. Like, I mean, I knew he was there this time, but I, I didn't, you know, if, if I guess, if you get me. He really has, but he's, he's done it all. But this just seemed like, yeah, I, I do agree with you, Tom, in that it was good in the sense of it felt like it had its place on the card due to what happened the night before. It, it just felt like this was... I don't know how long Edge had been there at that point, but it felt like his tryout. You know, it, it felt like this was... Hey, Hey, you know, hey kid, we're we're gonna give you an experienced hand. Go out there and show us what you can do. That, that that's what it felt like to me. And it was very it was very basic, but it, it was fine. Um, very by the numbers. I can't, you know, match quality, just, it, it, it was fine. I mean, he, I will say that Edge did hit a very nice suplex and bridge, which I'm sure Ben would have loved. That was very nice. I have to give him credit for that. But yeah, the the, the finish, okay, I mean, Jared got the title back. Okay, what are you going to do? I, I don't think it was the start of the show that I was quite expecting, put it that way. Oh, man. I put the word vanilla down. Because there's not... To vanilla, so. <laughs> Well, we all know that it's the weakest flavour of ice cream, Tom. The anguish in his face. Not even, I can't even look at you right now, old man. <laughs> I mean, Edge had done some single stuff to this point, but he then tagged with Christian for quite a bit. I think that you're probably not a million miles away, to be honest, Matt. I think that is probably what it is. It's kind of like, have a couple of matches with this guy and see how you put together a really boring match. And then <laughs> don't <laughs> do, do, do that, that. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of your career and you'll get over. But the thing is with Jarrett, and don't get me wrong, this is classic Jarrett stuff. He's fucking over with this crowd. They do not like him. It's a masterstroke because they put Deborah with him. So she's the shine to his heat so he or he could do the no 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 you can't steal my spotlight thing and he can like step in the way uh Lula. so oh. he's going on about deborah for a bit and jr says something and he's just trying to be like oh can you not wind it in and he, shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah so Lula goes i like chicks about half a second after he says that jr goes young chicks Oh, and I was does like, he? oh, yeah. Like, if he weren't wearing a headset, I would have heard the mic drop, I think. I was just like, oh, JR, you salty little motherfucker. And uh, yeah, then, then I was laughing for a bit. And then it's a Jarrett match. So we know what's going to happen. Someone is going to twist their knee. <laughs> Every time, sure enough, Edge jumping off the thing, twists his knee, gives him a chance for the figure four. Quite like Gangrel coming down. I like the fact that the lights went out and then turned around and there was just some blood on the floor. Yeah, this is not very good, is it? Unfortunately. No, I, I agree with you. And I think this is the reason why Tinky's not actually on this week's show. Yes. Because he <laughs> hates Jeff Jarrett and he doesn't really rate Edge either. So I can. No. And based on this performance, I can't necessarily say I disagree with him. The King is banging on about puppies, and by the time Deborah and Jeff Jarrett get to the ring, it's already fucking tiresome. It's already tiresome. Mm-hmm. But there is one bit that did make me chuckle. So Deborah's wearing basically a green bikini with like a jacket. And um, uh, he says, this is my favourite outfit, yeah. And then the JR says, what? The don't piss me off t-shirt? <laughs> the Jeff Jarrett's wearing, <laughs> which was quite funny. And there's, further to what you said, old man, I mean, the 90s is a fucking wild place because there's a mad, really long We Want Puppies chant from the crowd. And further what you said about him basically being the heater towards Deborah, he then grabs the microphone and says, no one's going to see the puppies they're mine which is also 
in a sense quite misogynistic and quite creepy but it mm. does get the heat back onto him for it as mm. well so it's one of those things but the match in itself is really dull I find it really boring like there's a bit at the beginning of the match where Jarrett goes to leave with the belt in a move that makes no logic whatsoever because it'll just get carried out and he won't win the belt anyway so it doesn't make any sense it's just stupid and the commentary don't really hammer that point home which is a bit weird I mean there's a pair of sleeper spots in there <laughs> in your opening match there's two sleepers one from Jarrett one from one from Edge and that kind of says anything there's a falling headbutt to Jeff's mm. bollocks which was quite a, which I quite enjoyed and the lights go off you hear the beginning of Gangrel's music and the lights then come back on and Edge is just stood there over a pr- prone Gangrel on the floor and we don't even get to hear Gangrel's phenomenal music one no. absolute waste of Gangrel that is it's not good it's not a good match it's really boring like it's not awful but that's like you said oh man it's, it's exactly what you'd expect from a Jeff Jarrett and Edge match which makes it worse than it actually is you know when it, when yeah. a match is match completely matches your expectations and your new expectations are not high in the slightest that almost makes it worse than it being a shit match but you were expecting more if that makes any sense yeah not not the greatest opener and this was a little bit of a fear that I had coming into this pay-per-view because I can remember going back and watching a lot of old Attitude Era pay-per-views being like oh this is a, this was a great time in wrestling and then watching it and going oh this isn't actually that good and that was my concern for the rest of the show to be fair the highlight comes after the match doesn't it which I'm sure you were about to expertly guide us through and I've got a quote from Austin that is wonderful yes I think I, I think I know the one so Austin is backstage with some EMTs and getting stitched up we go back to the ring where Jeff Jarrett is just about to put the belt on Austin then sprints to the ring yeah. quicker than I've ever seen him move and he stuns JR the crowd uh, uh, JR he doesn't stun JR at all he stuns Jeff Jarrett the crowd are going fucking apeshit because they're clearly not expecting him at that moment mm. he calls the Undertaker a big fat son of a bitch <laughs> and then says that he's gonna bust Taker's big dead ass wide open <laughs> Jarrett said that Austin is says that Austin is going hunting and Austin is already bleeding as he goes through the apron. Uh, the camera then zooms in on that incredible photograph of a bleeding Vince McMahon that they've got mm-hmm. at the uh, beginning of the ramp. Uh, what was your quote on man? Was it that? Yeah, it was. Uh, so I think you got it right, and I'd read it down. So it says, "I'm going to find your big dead ass and split you wide open." <laughs> and I was just like, "Fucking hell, man!" <laughs> it's so good, and the crowd are going fucking ballistic. Aww. It's incredible. I'll tell you what it did make me think. Now, Austin's been quite open about this, that in particular at this time, he was quite a difficult human being to be around. And there's obviously he reluctantly in recent years has acknowledged the fact that he was really very awful to Deborah and also his daughters, by all accounts, from a previous marriage. And this doesn't excuse it in any way, but I was just thinking, I was like, can you imagine being that fucking guy, the pressure on that guy? He's the only cunt they want to see on this show. The only one. Yeah. He's basically, so I don't know how many people were there, 15,000, something like that. Yeah, 16,605. I reckon apart from the Kevin Kelly guy, everyone else was there to see Austin. Yeah. I just can't. When I go to work and I have to do something and everyone's looking at me, it's like, this is a bit much, isn't it? Let them carry a multi-million dollar company on my shoulders. <laughs> Exactly. Um, did you have any thoughts about this, Matt? I, I got to be honest. I, I did laugh at uh, at Austin's lines as well. It's just, <laughs> just the conviction in, in which he says. Um, mm-hmm. he, he sounds like a tough guy as well. Yeah. He sounds like somebody who, if you pissed off at a bar, you'd be thinking, "Ah, fuck, I'm gonna have to throw down." So you yeah. you, you believe you believe in. So yeah, he's, he's just great. Right. We got the Acolytes versus the Hardy Boys, who were the tag team champions at the time, partnering with Michael Hayes. So it's a handicap match for the tag team titles. But the match is 
due to be fought under acolytes' rules. What any of you can tell me what the fuck that means? I've got no idea because I couldn't find any discernible difference between that and a normal tag match. But the match ends when the acolytes hit a double power bomb on one of the Hardys uh, for the pin, and we have new tag team champions. And the King says two men did beat three. Thanks for that, King. Uh, oh man. So at the start of this match, effectively Bradshaw and Farouk take turns beating up Michael Hayes. That's what they do. They, for the first two or three minutes of this, they're just walloping Michael Hayes outside the ring. And then some other stuff happens. And then it settles down into the ring and they're tagging in and out. I'm like, why the fuck are you stupid cunts tagging? Yep. This is no DQ. Does my fucking head in. Every <laughs> time we've, we've had a lot of these recently. Well, I say recently, over the last <laughs> however long we've been doing this, 20 months. Oh, it does my head in. Just the stupidity of it. And the referee's enforcing rules. I don't think he enforces a rope break like Kyoto in this match, thankfully. But the match is just, it's just all right. I actually thought this was the match that the Hardy boys boot Michael Hayes out. So when he gets pinned for the loss, I thought they were going to beat him up. And they didn't, and I was a bit disappointed. You get the power moves. So Jeff Hardy does a leap to the top rope. It's very impressive. That's all I've gone right down. And then uh, they do the thing where Matt Hardy is bent over, bent over. He's on his knees. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) So that's his brother. Yeah, and then Jeff, Jeff runs up. And then Bradshaw comes out the corner and close eyes him and then sodomizes Matt. And that was kind of it. But to be honest, it just feels like a fight. It's a classic Acolytes match. But it's an Acolytes match where what you want from this is you want the Hardys to do all the bumping and to have a good time. But they don't really do that. They just beat on Michael Hayes. And I was a bit like, oh, this is a bit confusing. It's not bad, but it's just kind of fine. And I think it does show up that the Hardys are quite young. I don't know whether they were a bit like, oh, we've put them with Michael Hayes and Michael Hayes can take the kicking and they can kind of watch how you sell taking an absolute kicking because that's what these guys will do because they're smaller. But what could I expect from an Acolytes match, especially when they're in the ministry? Because they haven't got that clearly defined APA thing. <laughs> <laughs> That <laughs> <laughs> must be a fucking nightmare for your neighbours. Yeah, this was. What, what could I expect? Nothing. And I got very little. So maybe I won. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? Do you know that this was this was the tag team equivalent of Agent Jeff Jarrett. Even with the Hardy Boys, I, I thought almost exactly the same. Fuck, they've been there a long time as well. And I just think it, this is exactly the same. It just felt like another case of upper management going, "Hey, you know, you, you've got to take your ass whooping by the acolytes. That's that's how you gain respect around here. Go out there, let them do what the fuck they want." And we'll see how you take it. That's just all it felt. It just felt like Acolytes beating the shit out of them. The finish I did love solely because my childhood in terms of WWE or WWF video games was no mercy for the N64. I just constantly remember Acolytes powerbombing the shit out of people on there. So that that was awesome. <laughs> I, that just immediately took me back to playing that game as a kid. But yeah, the, the, the rest of it was just... I, I don't know. It, it felt like... A lot of the show, it felt like they were they were preparing. They were preparing for the future, basically. Like I said, and that's not that that's a bad thing. I just think maybe there was better ways of doing it than perhaps on pay per view. I mean, yeah, particularly at that time as well, having quite generic matches on pay per view. I'm not sure was the way to go about doing it. Do you know what? It's really interesting that that kind of theory that you said then, Matt, about chucking the Hardys in with the in with the more experienced guys who are going to give them a bit of a rough ride in the match. And that's something that hadn't occurred to me, but it, I think that makes a lot of sense actually. I'm a little bit 
bit different from you guys because I actually really enjoyed this match. I really, I mean, I fucking love Michael Hayes. I've become a big Michael Hayes guy over the last like week or so. Um, no, no, prior to that, like, the last the last show last show that I did it involved a Michael Hayes match, and I really enjoyed that as well. I just I've come to to really enjoy Michael Hayes's work, and also I'm very much enjoying his incredibly high waistline in this oh, match, as well, which is tremendous. Like, the match kind of starts really hot with like a big brawl outside the ring, and as you said, Michael Hayes, him and Bradshaw in particular are beating the fucking shit out of each other mm. and then they get a bit in the ring when it all kind of settles down a bit where Bradshaw and Matt Hardy are then just chopping the living piss out of each other as well which is just it was a bit of a weird thing to see actually because you don't usually mm. see someone stand toe to toe with Bradshaw but evidently it gets to a point where Matt hits him and Bradshaw's like no that's enough let's not forget mm. I'm one of the biggest cunts so I'm going to fucking hit you because I'm a cunt. Yeah. And then we're going to stop that. I think the spot that you said, old man, is when Jeff Hardy hits a swanton on Bradshaw. He's outside of the ring. He's like fighting with Michael Hayes and he hits, he does like a running yeah. top ring, which is really cool. And generally the match is stiff as fuck. There's a little bit of a lull in the middle when it just turns into a boring tag match. But then about two or three minutes before the end, it all gets all gets chaotic again, which I which I quite enjoyed. There's a bit where Farouk hits Matt Hardy with a backbreaker and JR goes, oh, look at the ease in which he's picked him up. But it looks really difficult and he just drops Matt Hardy on his head <laughs> and there's a bit in it where Bradshaw gives Michael Hayes the finger and Michael Hayes looks so offended like genuinely <laughs> like he's then Michael Hayes breaks up a like a, a pinfall attempt and properly just kicks Bradshaw on the side of the head. I didn't know if you guys noticed it, but he properly puts the yeah. boot into his head. There's a point there where Bradshaw hits a side suplex off the top rope on Matt Hardy. Yes. Absolute madness. But then there's a really weird bit in the match where Jeff comes in because Michael Hayes has got a cane on his way to the ring and he twats Bradshaw with it so hard and the cane snaps over his head. And then Bradshaw then inexplicably kicks out. But mm. the moment of the match is that fucking close line from hell that he hits Jeff Hardy with he takes his head off with it and it's pretty fucking brutal overall I enjoyed this match I thought it was really fun I had really like your man I went in with really low expectations and it actually for me it massively exceeded my expectations so I really enjoyed this one so after that match we see Austin walking with purpose evidently looking for The Undertaker. And then we get Kevin Kelly with Dilo Brown, uh, and he's interviewing him backstage. Dilo Brown says it's been nine months since he's been the European champion, and that's a title that you have to earn, Midian, not just take it out of a bag. So mm. I believe the storyline reason why Midian's got this title is because he's in the ministry and Shane McMahon's just given it to him. Uh, which leads us to our next match, which is Dilo Brown versus Midian for the European champion, who is the European champion. Uh, the match lasts for seven minutes and 12 seconds, and it ends when Dilo Brown hits a frog splash for the pin and is the new European champion. Matt, what are your thoughts? I, I'd be more interested to hear your guys on this, to be honest, because I'm going to start off with I have never liked the European Championship ever. It's never. Hey, that's our title. Yeah. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And if I went, no, it's to not, anymore. not anymore. No, yeah. no, we're still in Europe. If I went to a house show and they had it for sale, I wouldn't buy it. I don't want it. What belts would you buy? The UK title looks gorgeous, to be fair. Is that an NXT one? The NXT UK title looks fantastic. I have previously purchased the Attitude Era WWE Championship, not the the Gold Eagle, but the the one Austin pretty much had yeah. for the majority of his run. That one. Um, I unfortunately didn't have to sell it, but I had that one for a while. But the, yeah, the, the European title, it's just never something I've gone on with. They just And it's always been the guys that nobody seems to give a shit about. And because of that, I mean, this match had a stigma attached to it the second it started. Who the fuck is Midian? I mean, I've heard of him, but who the fuck is Midian? <laughs> You know, I haven't really seen that much of him. I don't, don't particularly have any, you know, want to ever see him again. D'Lo Brown, oh, the crowd love him. 
for some inexplicable reason, which I'm hoping you guys will be able to explain. He, he's, he's charismatic, for sure. He seems to be a, a dab hand, you know, if, if, if you want to call him that. But this, again, this just felt very... Th- this show so far, to me, it just felt like a show that they had recruiters come over and they were showing, you know, they, they, you know, this is our school of wrestling. This is how we teach them. And that's how this show felt so far. It just felt very generic by the numbers. And, and this match was reflected on that. See, t- t- tell me a bit about Dilo Brown. OK, well, for a start, you, you should count yourself lucky that you're not on a show with Tinky. Because he would somehow find a way to jump through the screen and scratch your eyes out. Because Dilo is, uh, Tinky is one of the biggest Dilo Brown fans. Dilo Brown's a funny one. I have always liked him. I've always, he's a, he's a very good wrestler. That unfortunately career was well, it's not. It's even more unfortunate for the other person. But he obviously uh, hit the running power bomb on Draws that kind of that broke his neck and kind of very much curtailed Dilo Brown's career. He was he came in initially, I believe, as part of the Nation of Domination when it was like a bigger gang. The Nation of Domination split up into three groups that became the Los Bariquas and the what do they call them, man? The bike, bike Gang? I want to say Sons of Anarchy, um, but that's clearly not right. No, uh, um, Disciples of Apocalypse. Yeah, that's it. That's it. The yeah, fucking, and, and, that's it. I was the racist of Apocalypse. Yes, that's right. And then um, basically, Dilo Brown then kind of became a full member of the Nation of Domination, and and he was always just a, a really good wrestler, a really really tidy wrestler, and and he was very charismatic. And I think this bit, uh, again, I think you would probably correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably about his probably peak as a as in terms of popularity as a, as a solo wrestler. There's a couple of matches that he's in that people love, and he has a series of matches with Al Venus, I think in '98 or '99. Oh, yes. And they are great matches. They really are. Mm-hmm. And he is he's the person that's hit the best ever frog splash I've seen. Uh, although that might be rivaled perhaps by Montez Ford now because his frog splash is pretty impressive. But it's different because Dilo Brown properly like swings his entire is like his entire axis changes when he hits it. Mm-hmm. He, he he was very good, but unfortunately he never really made it to as big as he could have been because of that accident. And I can remember we were we watched a match with Dilo Brown where he hit the running powerbomb before the draws incident, and it looked a bit sketchy when he did it. And it's just a shame that, that that he was able allowed to carry on using that move when there were a couple of warning flags beforehand, and ultimately ended up with draws in a wheelchair, and obviously, and his career kind of wasn't allowed to reach the heights of that. In terms of Midian, Midian was kind of around from about maybe ninety five and ninety six. He was a in a tag team with Henry O Godwin, so he was a pig farmer. Henry O Godwin, hog, get it? And he was Phineas I Godwin, eh? And they were kind of baby face tag team of 95 that you can imagine 95 96 they'd slop people they have a bag of stuff and then they became heels and i don't really know what happened to henry o godwin but yeah phineas i godwin ended up turning into midian who became this kind of like weird almost like an occult kind of psychic kind of person that was kind of the, the idea that they gave him and then he basically was in the ministry of darkness and then i'm pretty sure after the ministry of darkness he disappeared and then he came back a couple of years later as naked midian where he wrestled in just a thong and that was about it and also in my research he actually i found that he used to wrestle under the name tex slazenger yeah. which is a lovely name funnily enough i'm actually wearing a pair of slazenger socks right now so uh, yeah uh, if he wrestled under the name texas slazenger he'd be the most over thing going today <laughs> exactly <laughs> he'd come into the room with a tennis racket lovely old job oh man if you've got any more addendums to add to the dealer brown slash midian chat or do you want to get stuck into the match it's kind of a broader point actually about the roster I think at this point. What was Stark when I was watching the 98 pay-per-views and I watched up until the Mania, I think, in 99, is that this is such a fucking bare-bones roster. It's so small. 
That's the reason why people like Midian exist. It's because they need they need hills. Oh, Venus ain't no hill. He's a fucking hero. Godfather, <laughs> absolutely no chance making him heal. Not at this time. No, well. no, absolutely not. And uh, I think that's probably why he exists. And also, he is very good friends with The Undertaker, so that's never going to hurt, to be honest. So we had him in the ministry. But D'Lo is, uh, well, to be honest, Tommy summed up beautifully. D'Lo was absolutely great. His chest protector phase. Oh, amazing. Absolutely. So you won't know this, man, but basically, he had some injuries to his chest. So he wore a chest protector, and he then just carried on wearing it for months. And he'd be wearing it in the match. So when he did this frog splash, he's obviously landing on them with his body weight ah. and the metal. So, oh, my God. But as for this match, this is not good. Yeah. Because uh, Midian, as the heel, does most of the offensive work. And it's definitely offensive as well in this. So when he kind of takes over, it's dreadful. I know he's not a very good wrestler. But I was sat there, I was like, how the fucking hell does this guy? How the hell did he get six or seven years? in the biggest wrestling company in the world. And all I could think was, poor D'Lo deserves better. But he got to win the European title, and hopefully he went on his tour again. Because he was going to Milan, he went to London, I think, on that other pay-per-view that we saw him. But yeah, this is not a, um, this is a frog splash. That's yeah. all the match is. And it's a, like Tommy said, it's a heck of a fucking frog splash. But yeah, not the best way I've ever spent seven minutes and 12 seconds. No. There's a couple of bits that I did point out in the match, and this is clutching at straws. We all love it, and I don't know if it's, maybe it's like a backstage thing, like a like a backstage kind of, you know, see if you can see this. But whenever Mike Hewitt is refereeing, refereeing a match, every now and again, you get hit, you hear someone go, ask him, Mike, which yeah. uh, Midian does at one point. And there's also a lovely bit where after a near fall, he goes, <laughs> Midian goes, God damn it, Mike! <laughs> <laughs> which I enjoyed. Dino Bryan hits a lovely, a lovely, sorry, not a suicide dive, a, a two-page suicide <laughs> And it is a proper suicide dive. It's not a jumping push like Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins or even my beloved Daniel Bryan does. It's a proper, he goes through and clears out fucking Midian. Um, it's to see that. Yeah, yeah. You didn't see it around a lot at that time. Mm-hmm. Brett had done it a few times earlier in, in his career, but not not many not many people had done it at that point. Very much agree with what you guys said. It wasn't it wasn't great. But again, at the same time, I'm still kind of, I still kind of enjoyed it because I was, again, I was like low expectations from Dino Bryan versus Midian. I haven't thought about Midian for years. Before he gets <laughs> so it was always just quite nice to be like, oh yeah, it's Midian. I wonder what I, he's I up wasn't to. think about him for years after this. No, he's like, there's not much reason to. But no. again, I, I think this is going to be very tainted, this show, by my nostalgia. And this is why mm. I didn't mind this match. And it's only seven minutes long, so you can't really get too offended by it. I, I can tell you already, guys, our scores at the end of the show are going to be polar opposites. Hey, from the polar hey, Exactly. So after that match, Austin still marching around, stomping around backstage. And then um, we get our, uh, Michael Cole, who was with Al Snow. Uh, they show footage from Monday Night Raw, where uh, Big Boss Man is... Basically, Al Snow's getting Big Boss Man, man to beat him up. And then it goes to the, uh, the actual, back to the interview, where Al Snow, Al Snow says he can hear it in his head the entire time, whatever it, it is, and then yells, he's going to make it stop, isn't he? Repeatedly at Michael Cole, who looks genuinely terrified. And I wonder if, after the show, he didn't actually get frosted tips. His hair just went white <laughs> in certain parts because of his fear. Which leads us on to Al Snow, who is the reigning hardcore champion versus Big Boss Man. It is a 10-minute 
minutes and 13 seconds in length. <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered something that happened in this that really made me laugh. <laughs> the match ends when Big Boss Man handcuffs Al Snow to the railings and then hits him with a baton a couple of times and the referee counts Al Snow against the railings. I've got to go with this one, guys, because I fucking love this. I love this match. I, I so knew much. you would. Because, and I'll tell you what, so we, we've done quite recent. well, over the course of this podcast, we've done a couple of hardcore matches in WCW and found them generally quite bleak and depressing and sad. This was just fun. I find this to be so much fun. So Big Boss Man comes, starts to come down to the ring and then Al Snow runs to meet him halfway up the aisle. Starts saying, please put me out of my misery. And then Big Boss Man starts hitting the spike that is in Head's head. And Al Snow selling it. <laughs> which I just love that. They then fight all over the arena and backstage and the cameraman stacks it, which is always a, yes. it's always a nice sight. It's always good to see a cameraman's feet, I think. Yeah. <laughs> which you do. And, and basically, it's general kind of generic hardcore fighting backstage grabbing anything that looks like it doesn't hurt too much and try and make it look like it hurts and boss man goes ah that's not your piece of ch-. and he kind of stops himself <laughs> calling him a piece of shit getting too carried away Al Snow chucks a big pot of coffee on big boss man which is which is always nice and it doesn't I don't think it's properly hot coffee but it looks at least warm so I'll take that boss man then goes to run over Al Snow with a golf cart but it doesn't start <laughs> which is great and then then as a response to that Al Snow just grabs a pot plant and hits uh, boss man with it but he doesn't take he doesn't hit him with the actual pot he takes the plant out and starts whipping him with the roots <laughs> and Jerry Lawler goes oh that's going to come out of our budget because <laughs> this one obviously belongs to the arena and throughout the entire match Al Snow is having an inner like a, an argument with his with the voices in his head which I just really enjoyed and then they go outside the arena and luckily there's a cameraman already out there on the other side Thank of the corner and Bossman hits what looks like such a brutal bulldog onto Al Snow on the concrete and then Al then comes back there's very little selling in this match I will add as well apart from staggering Al Snow hits the boss man with a hubcap and then I laughed out loud when Al Snow hits Big Boss Man with a traffic cone <laughs> I, I just wanted to know it yes because he just goes I was like fucking have it um, and then they go to fight in a road and a car nearly runs them both over yeah. and honks at them and the guy looks really pissed off and then this is the best bit in the entire match they fight over on the outside of a train yard which is where uh, what Al Snow eventually gets um, handcuffed to and there's a sign that says private property no trespassing and Big Boss Man grabs Al Snow's head puts it right in front of it and goes you see that boy it says Private property, no transplanting. <laughs> and I was howling with laughter at that point. And then, yeah, as I said, the match ends with the with the pinfall against the thing, and Bossman runs through the arena, back through the entire way they've been fighting, runs to the ring, and celebrates with the belt in the ring, and genuinely looks like he's just had the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. I thought this was so much fucking fun. I loved this match. It was daft, it was silly, it was fun, it was a bit of levity. There was again a little bit of history going behind it because obviously it showed kind of the what happened between them, and we know what would go on to happen between them with the older eating the dog in the pie and all that yeah. stuff I thought this was 1999 Pepper? attitude era fluff and I, yeah, I had a good laugh watching this match Matt, you, you're dying to select this match off, so I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> I, I had a number of thoughts about this match. Now, initially, when it started, I I have quite the affinity for Al Snow. I'm an Al Snow fan. Um, for, I think, I, I can't even remember specifically why, but a lot of early wrestling memories that I have, Al Snow was featured quite a lot. Me and my a brother of mine, we used to watch the, the first series of Tough Enough. Used to be, I think it was either, it might have been series three of Tough Enough, actually. It was on Sky One for a period of time. 
And on a Saturday or Sunday morning, we would watch episodes of Tough Enough. And obviously Al Snow is, is like the father figure in there. So I did come to, to be a huge Al Snow fan solely based on Tough Enough. And another very brief reason why I'm also a fan of Al is that when me and my brother were younger, we didn't realise what, you know, when they're talking about what does everybody want? We didn't know what they meant. And we didn't know what, like, obviously we understood he had a head, you know, mannequin with him, but we, we didn't put two and two together. So my brother, trying to understand what it is that everybody wants, came up with, well, what he always wants, and that's a cup of tea. So whenever <laughs> I hear, what does everybody want? I just think in my head, my brother going, a cup of tea. So that's just completely ruined for me. But I, I think you hit a lot of the stuff on the head here, Tom. I mean, this match was silly. Not in a bad way, not in a good way. There has to come a point when you watch. I mean, at the end of the day, it's professional wrestling. It's men and women in leotards trying to kick the shit out of each other for, you know, a fake belt. You've got to put it into perspective at some point. And this was part of that. I mean, initially, there was some stuff that I took issue with. The coffee spot, that should have been the end of the match. They should have sent Al Snow to the hospital. I wanted an update from him for the rest of the night. I was genuinely concerned. Not Al, sorry, Boss Man, because they threw it on Boss Man, didn't they? I wanted an update. I wanted to know what happened. But it was just throwing plants. It was throwing objects, throwing bricks. It's been a while since I've seen a pinfall, not shoulders on the floor. So seeing it up against like a, a wall or whatever completely took me by surprise and i totally forgot that that was an actual thing and i thought what the fuck i was like how, how the hell did he win that like, you didn't pin him but evident you know if, if you think of it as the shoulders were down that's a pinfall that's hardcore rules that's how it goes you know is, is this gonna be a, a classic that, that i want to go back and and, and re-watch time and again not really but but was it a couple of minutes of just absolute yeah, like i said just fluff just, just fluff just just uh take some time out I have a bit of fun. Yeah, but why not? So there you go. Well, I'll be honest. I thought it was all right. No, no more than that. I like both of these guys. Big fan of the boss man. Best, best punch in the business. Well, obviously before he passed away. Although he could probably still punch better than most that are working yeah. now. I thought this was exactly what it needed to be. And it's also, I think, something that this card needed because we. this is the fourth match and I'd really not enjoyed the other three. And this was silly and this was a bit of fun. And you've got Lawler at the end saying that Al Snow might get a ticket because he's attached to the Ravens. <laughs> and then JR says, well, no, he might get done for trespassing, no? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought this was, I thought this was no, I wait to spend 10 minutes. And I'll take that because, like I said, I feel like it needed it. I feel like it needed a bit of a release this show. Yeah. We've had a, it's been some quite intense stuff with Austin, just like going around and he's like, I'll damn son, bitch, I'll spit your ass wide open. And he's like just doing that and he's stuttering people. And yeah, it's just a bit like, right, cool, this is a bit of fun. And the thing that made it is what you said, Tommy, when the big boss man just runs through the arena. Yeah. I'm like, why is he running through the arena? Why is the ref not taking the belt with him? <laughs> Which is, I think, something that they started doing was the referee would just carry the baron. But yeah, this is, this is a hardcore match with Al Snow and Big Boss Man. This is as good as I could have could have hoped for, to be honest. It's better than the fucking shit we get in a minute. 
Well, the next is Kevin Kelly interviewing Bob Holly, and he is the referee in the next match, which is Big Show versus Kane. He says that he will beat them up if they get in his face and calls them both big goofs. Um, and he, that he is the big shot in the match. So there's a pre-match video then that shows that The Undertaker and Kane have joined forces again. And then The Undertaker then chokeslams X-Pac, which evidently hurts Kane's feelings, and he then chokeslams The Undertaker. So they were friends again for about five minutes, and then they weren't mm-hmm. anymore, which I think we can all agree was great use of everyone's time. Um, so the match we get coming up now is The Big Show versus Kane, hard, and with Hardcore Holly as a special guest referee. The match is eight minutes and 13 seconds long, and basically it goes to the end. Again, it's a bit of a convoluted ending, uh, which all the Attitude Era matches are, to be perfectly honest. But Bob Holly hits a chop block on Kane as Kane is going for a choke slam on the Big Show. The Big Show then hits the choke slam of his own, and then Holly does a very fast count. X Pack then comes down, who gets a cracking reaction at that mm. point, I must say, and then kicks Holly. The Undertaker then comes out and does a brutal looking choke slam on X Pack, and both Taker and the Big Show beat up Kane. The Big Show then hits the Jeff Hardy double bollock leg drop yeah. on, uh, on <laughs> Kane, which is very weird. And then The Undertaker just fucks off. And at this point, I'm thinking, where's Austin? But we'll, mm-hmm. we'll come to that in a minute. It's pretty clear where he is. I'm going to give this to you, old man, because you said this is, well, you effectively said this is shit. So I want to I want to find out why. So we start off the match and almost immediately the big show military presses Kane over the top rope to the outside. And I'm like, fucking hell, we might get some here. And we didn't. We get the big show's tree-like leg, as JR describes it. That was his favorite. We don't get his shoe size in this match. No. Which I was a bit, bit disappointed about. And I wonder if uh, JR was reprimanded for that, because that's always my highlight. But um, Big Show just beats up Kane for, I'll be honest, you said this match is eight minutes. It's a long fucking eight minutes, if I'll be honest. Because it's effectively two men just plodding around, one of them pretending to get beaten up and the other one pretending to beat someone up. And then Kane's comeback is immediately stopped by Hardcore Holly. And I'm like, mate, give us a little bit. It's a long time to wait just for that immediately. Were you Liberty Xing it, old man? Like, what? <laughs> just a little bit thing. Just a little bit more. Get it just a little bit more. Yeah, and then you get the uh, shenanigans at the end. Beat down all over. Lovely old job. And then it's done, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad that's done. A bit like you, Tommy. I was a bit like, well, what's going on? Where's Austin? Obviously, we'll get to that shortly. But the highlight of the match is in the crowd. This guy failed. I don't know what that means. And then someone else with the real big show is in my pants. Who <laughs> missed yep. that? That's amazing. Uh, that loved one. it. Absolutely loved it. Although it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, that's <laughs> just tremendous a, work. Just this guy just stood in the front row, just over in front of the barricade. And he's just so deadly serious. <laughs> and, uh, lovely. I mean, I wouldn't know personally, but I imagine it's serious business having a big chopper. No. Yeah. Oh, so I can okay. imagine. But yeah, this is not very good. And uh, I'll be honest, at this point in the card, I was struggling. And I was like, 99, you little fixin'. <laughs> well, what about you, Matt? What are your thoughts? Those who remember my least favourite show that we have covered on this podcast is WrestleMania. The very first WrestleMania, I infamously give it zero. I hated that show. There was nothing on it remotely worth watching in my book, and I'd happily say I'll never watch it again. This match 
reminded me of that show. We were okay. getting dangerously close to what what is the point of this? I mean, podding is definitely the right word to use. How on earth Kane had a... I mean, it's pretty much down to the character and the strength of the character, really, because, I mean, my God, this was just not good work by him, not good work by the big show. Why in God's green earth Bob Holly was involved? I can't stand the guy. I never, ever, ever want to go back and watch anything involved with him again. It was such a boring match. There was just nothing to it. Again, it's similar to the main event. The the post-match kind of saved it from slipping into complete obscurity. But it was at this point of the show, again, i got to be honest, I was getting wound up thinking, nah, this is shit. So I must be I must be like smoking crack or something because I didn't mind this match. I didn't I didn't think it was bad at all. I'll be honest. I think I was. So the big show comes out and I did actually. Here's a question. So we've had this discussion before about runs with entrance music. How long people have had their runs with entrance music. Yeah. The big show has had that fucking song almost since he debuted in, mm. in the beginning of 99. Yeah. So he's had a tremendous run with that. They both sound quite over, which is mm. a very strange thing to hear both of them is I think it might be like the period that both of them have been most over and that fucking press slam over the top rope from Kane by the big show is fucking amazing mm-hmm. like genuinely like mind blowing I was like and Kane takes a big old fucking bump he's a big boy and he takes a fucking bump and at the beginning of the match like Kane is bumping all over the shop for Big Show as well they've obviously he's obviously been told listen go out there and make him look good because we're we're, we're gonna turn him facing heel about 15 times over the next six months so we need to we need it we're gonna we're gonna ruin him so at least give him that moment where he looks half semi-decent Big Show is wearing very little clothes as well because he's in pants and boots and that's it it's a little bit disappointing but I I don't have that many notes on the match which obviously gives you that it's not really good I didn't mind it there's a weird bit where you obviously start to see Bob Holly's bias towards the big show for some reason I don't know why uh, where he starts giving him advice on how to actually do a pin after a nonchalant cover from the big show Mm. and there's quite a nice DDT from Kane and a pretty decent sell from the big show on that on that DDT and Kane came off the top rope with a clothesline at this point I'm like he's a fucking luchador this guy he's flying around the ring all over the shop I didn't mind this match I thought it was absolutely fine I don't I didn't understand the need for Bob Holly and I really liked all the stuff afterwards with X-Pac and then obviously the stuff with The Undertaker coming down because it makes sense because he has already and this at this point where I'm starting to think to myself I'm really enjoying on this pay-per-view how a lot of the stories seem to be intermingling with each other already I, I, I agree with you guys about the first match with, with Edge and Jeff Jarrett but I just genuinely enjoyed the the second two matches and everything since then including this match so this is why i'm starting to think yeah i'm into this and even a lot more than i thought i would be and as i said the use of x-pac and undertaker and then what happens next which i'll talk about after we finished um maybe enjoy that match even more as a result of it i do agree completely with this intermingling of stories i just think that it's something that well, they just don't do anymore. And it's one of the real strengths of this period in particular, because you've got the bigger factions. And so you've got people that want to involve. And like, I can remember the exact card. So I had a look at the SummerSlam card because that's the next pay-per-view. Yes, I looked at that. And there's, well. like, there's fallout from that. And it's like, cool, this is just organic. But we forgot the most important thing in this match. Ken Patel. What is, no, what is it, everyone? Ben Jacobs is a cunt. Oh, he is a cunt. Ben yeah. Jacobs. 
You're right, yeah. Yeah, You're I was right. just going to say, like, do you reckon like, he's selling all over for the big show? Do you reckon he put anything like that much effort into thinking about women's rights? Mm, probably or, not, though. No, I don't think so either. You're yeah. horrible cunt. Yeah. He's uh, got fucking daughters! <laughs> fucking, fucking cunt. That's why, isn't he? I'm sure um, he'll be teaching them abstinence, mate. Yeah. Mm. He shagged a fucking dead woman. Yeah. So, uh, but now finally we get our resolution to that, to the where is Austin of it all. As now Undertaker goes backstage and Austin basically gets him in like the gorilla position and starts battering him, and that's when the Undertaker gets busted open. And at that point, I'm like, that makes so much fucking sense. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that he hasn't gone out because if he goes out into the ring, he's gonna be amongst the Big Show and Bob Polly and all the other heels. So he's waiting for him backstage. And also, you don't want to give the crowd too much Austin out in the arena as well. And I thought this was brilliant that they did that. I thought this was... I know we used this a lot on the uh, last show that we did. I this was just perfect the whole way this went down because, like you said, the Undertaker just kind of walks back, and you're just like, "What the fuck is going on?" And then they like cut, and JR's like, "Oh my god, there's something going on backstage." And then you just see him laying into him. Lovely old job. Yeah, great shit. Great shit. And then back to commentary, and the king looks very concerned. He says, What's Vince going to do? That's his biggest <laughs> concern. Um, so next, we find out that we have got Ken Shamrock versus Steve Blackman in an Iron Circle match. There's a bit of uh, video footage at the beginning of uh, Blackman attacking Ken Shamrock at various points. So there's a little reason for this match, and there's obviously a bit of bad blood here. This is an unsanctioned match, but they've both still got entrance music. <laughs> Um, and to oh. let everyone know what an Iron Circle match is, it takes place in a parking garage where there's cars all around in circles with their headlights lit, with the wrestlers rhythmically drumming on the bonnets, or should we say hood, for our American listeners, of the car, and uh, generally having a bit of a lovely time. There's Sergeant Slaughter, Viscera, I see Droz there, Midian has made it down mm-hmm. there after his match. I'm surprised he's not more disappointed about his loss of his Intercontinental yeah. Champion. And the match ends when Ken Shamrock gets a chain that Steve Blackman has got. He, he wraps it around his hand and punches him several times and then chokes him out. And the way you win uh, Iron Circle match, apparently, is just to walk away from the Iron Circle. <laughs> so that's how Ken Shamrock picks up the win after four minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, oh, man. Okay, so you're gasping to say something about this match. Uh, so we, you've forgotten a couple of people who are on the outside. You've got Albert. So let's oh, go yeah. through the list. In a very yeah. fetching green shirt as well. As yeah, looking very dapper, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so we got Draws, Albert, Viscera, Tess, Sergeant Snow. I'm glad you confirmed it was him because I had a question mark. I was like, surely no one else has got that chin. Uh, the Godfather, uh... Midian. And the goat, Val Venus, is out there. <gasps> is he? Yeah. He's, he's probably been like, shagging in one of the cars, hasn't he? Oh, but yeah, yeah, he's been fucking dogging. He's been fucking <laughs> seagulling all over those cars. <laughs> Guys splatting, just spunk all over their hands. Oh, lovely. <laughs> what, what a night. So this is a terrible idea that's terribly executed because it's so fucking dark. <laughs> so the minute they go out of the direct circle, you're just like, you can't see. There's this one really cool visual when I think it's Blackman gets thrown into the wall and he disappears. And Shamrock turns around and he's like walking back to the circle. And then Blackman just appears like magic from the night, like Batman. I was like, it's fucking Batman. No, no, Black. But yeah, this is um, people beeping horns for a stupid amount of time. Well, some, I mean, they're they're hamstrung completely. It's not on Shamrock or Blackman. Two guys that I really like and I know can put together a decent match. 
They're just hamstring. This is so weird. But this is the best Iron Circle match I've ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, well. I know, I know, I know. But no, like you've had the like park clock rules and that, and they normally go much longer. Like, this this is quite the statement from you, old man, because you've actually got a 400 page book coming out about the best 20 Iron Circle matches coming out. Yeah, I have. Yeah, well, 308 pages are oh. on this match. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> spoiler alert. But I can remember Cena and Bradshaw having one. I think it's Cena and Bradshaw. It's some cunts. Eddie and Cena. So Cena it? has had one with Bradshaw and Eddie Guerrero, and the Eddie yeah. Guerrero one is far better. Well, well yeah. of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> it's the Cena Bradshaw one just is long. And this is four minutes, 19 seconds. Bish, bash, bosh. A sensible ending. Stupid rules. But you know what? It's a change of scenery. There's a couple of things that, um, that that you mentioned there, old man, that I wanted to quickly touch on. One of the things you mentioned was about the lighting. For for Game of Thrones fans, this is what this yep. reminded. Yeah, this is what it reminded me of. God forbid, I won't spoil it just in case anybody doesn't know what's happened at the end of Game of Thrones. But there was a complete war scene um, with the the Night King's army where it was like the, the biggest battle they'd ever done for the, for the entirety of the series. And it was so fucking dark. You couldn't... I, I don't get me wrong. You know, people complained afterwards and they were, well, it's meant to be dark. It's at night. And I get that. But you've still got to somehow try and get some light in there so we can see what's going on. I mean, I had to turn the brightness up on my TV to try and watch both Game of Thrones and that. So that wasn't very good. It, it did... As soon as I heard Iron Circle, I thought, well, what the hell is that? And then when I saw what it was, I immediately thought, oh, okay, John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, uh, parking lot brawl. Except, like like we said, that was so much better. That had a pinfall. So that was cool. The the finish of this, I, I think it's quite funny because I don't think the announcers even knew properly. Because um, obviously Shamrock choked him out with the chain and then just walked off. But they rang the bell pretty much the second he walked off, and they didn't commentate that he'd won yet. But basically, the rules of the match were apparently he had to leave the circle. So, mm. you know, he basically won, but he hadn't won yet. I mean, don't get me wrong. Okay, yeah. It's being nitpicky, because if he was choked out, he's not going to get back up, is he? And then, you know, suddenly make a miraculous... Although saying that's wrestling, of course he bloody would. His arm would come back up after the three, and he'd sprint after him. What? But also, there was no time limit. I wasn't going to touch on this, but I'm glad you did, because that's what I thought. I was like, hang on a minute, Naked Midian could help him up. Could have done. Yeah. And nobody did. They left poor Stevie on his own. And, and again, I I don't want to keep going back to gimmick matches in general, but they use them so much on this show. And we will come to what I think was one of the only times on the show where they actually used the gimmick of the match in the way that it was meant to, because I don't think they did here. Again, it's one of those, like I said earlier, I, I apologize for repeating myself, but it's the same thing. Once you've seen it, once you've seen somebody kick a car windscreen, you know, oh, wow, you know, that's dangerous and that looks tough, but and that's it. I know it's, it sounds like I'm being so unbelievably jaded. When, when you've watched that much wrestling and you've seen that type of stuff and it's just the same thing again, it's like, oh, whatever. I expected a little bit more from Ken Shamrock. Don't ask me why. Uh, and I don't feel I got my money's worth here. So this was a thumbs down. Every now and then, Matt, you're talking. I'm like, this guy makes me seem positive. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I'll take that because if you're... I was going to say, the viewers will be listening, the uh, the listeners will be watching, and they'll be like, oh, that old man, you know, positive little fucker, isn't he? So I'm going to seem like fucking DDP compared to you lads, because 
again, I quite enjoyed this. I think I quite enjoyed it for the spectacle that it was rather than the actual match quality. Until you mentioned the John Cena Eddie Guerrero match, I'd forgotten that any of these matches had ever happened before. But I quite liked it. I've got to give a shout out to Steve Blackman as well. Unsanctioned match, as we said. Company man, WWF t shirt on. Lovely yes. stuff. Lovely stuff. And when you get there, when, when the camera goes down there and you see the, um, you know, all the cars and all the guys beeping on beeping on the uh, the horns, then all of a sudden this fucking beat comes in. And it's fucking <laughs> Steve Blackman's amazing entrance music. And it's in time with the resters banging on the fucking t- on the cars. It was amazing. I wasn't expecting much, but I, I, I quite liked it. Like, nothing really happens. Nothing of note happens in it. Like you said, Matt, apart from a couple of windows going through and, you know, some slams onto car bonnets, etc. It's basically just like a brawl. I did think to myself, I wonder if WWE could do this sort of match now and do it a lot better when taking into account things like the, you know, the Firefly Funhouse match and the the Undertaker AJ Styles kind of boneyard match that where they they added a lot more of like a cinematic element to it. And I wonder if they might would yes. do something like that with this to make it a bit better. But I did think at this point, I was like, fucking hell, if you're in the crowd for this, this would be annoying because you've had mm-hmm. the hardcore match already that doesn't take place in the arena at all particularly you've got this match which is obviously pre-recorded and just chucked up there you've then got the main event which we talked about already with austin and and uh, and the undertaker brawling all around the arena you know and that wasn't uncommon to happen in multiple matches so the amount of i wonder like what the ratio of wrestling like outside of the ring versus inside the ring is on this card because if yeah. you're in the arena and you can't really see much going on you may as well not be there you may as well be at home watching it on tv because at least you'll get a decent view of it and that's when i started feeling sorry for the people of buffalo but then i remembered they've got their amazing hot sauce and wings so i didn't feel too mm. bad for i felt bad for the people in the front row who would have played top donner yeah. and then like you said they're just kind of like oh oh they're doing it over there are they oh, i've got ache hurt my neck looking up at the fucking yeah. massive screen yeah yeah exactly fuck them <laughs> they've got enough money they can pay for the expensive seats they can afford it they can afford a new neck yeah <laughs> so after that match we get a uh, Terry Taylor backstage with the Undertaker JR mm, yeah I know what you're going to say take it away Rooster and yeah. I was like oh mate that's fucking yeah. amazing that was great that was great um, so yeah Terry Taylor aka the Red Rooster is backstage with the Undertaker the Undertaker says the most dangerous animal is a wounded animal and that Taylor is going to be in danger soon and then just lobs him into a wall and what I like <laughs> about that is that he I, I like to think he should have said something like and your goose is cooked Rooster oh, or something like that. Yes. That would be amazing. And then we get a promo before the uh, Mr. Ass and China versus Red Dog and X-Pac match where they say they're going to have a feast or something like that and yeah. it doesn't make any sense. You know what? I always enjoy a food-based promo though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, just why not? Got to live, yeah. haven't you? After that, we get the Mr. Mr. Ass and China versus Road Dog and X-Pac match, which you discussed. And then we get to see a clip of Austin backstage lacing up his boots. It evidently, his, uh, his business with The Undertaker is done now, and he's getting ready for his match with him. So next, we get the uh, longest match of the night. It goes off for 19 minutes and 23 seconds. It's Triple H versus The Rock, and it's a strap match for the number one contender. Now, it's worth saying, this is actually a Falls Count Anywhere match, where the two combatants are basically held together by a strap, rather than one where you've got to go around and hit all the turnbuckles and those stupid things so the rock hits the people's elbow and covers triple h but at that point mr ass who's down the ring pulls the rock out by the strap 
as uh, him and Triple H have become separated from the strap, but the Rock still got it around his wrist. So Mr. Ass pulls the strap, meaning the Rock can't pin Triple H. The Rock then rock bottoms Mr. Ass, but this allows this distraction allows Triple H to hit the pedigree and pin the Rock, therefore becoming the number one contender. Matt. Well, thank God I get to finally be positive about something that happened on this damn show. You'll be happy to know that this was my match of the night, and it also featured my MVP of the night in the People's Champion, The Rock. Now, I am slightly biased towards that because I absolutely love The Rock. You know, his pre-match promo and just the classic rock stuff. And as childlike as it is, you know, you're... Your Rudy Poo candy ass or whatever. It's, p- people say that stuff to me to this day. <laughs> you know, if my friends are taking the piss or whatever, they'll they'll quote The Rock. So it's it's timeless. No, no matter how juvenile it potentially may have been. Now, what, and, and this is one of the reasons that I really enjoyed this match is because, like like I said throughout the show, there's been loads of gimmicks. I think this was, beside one really bad spot, this was probably the best example of how to actually use the gimmick because they used the strap to hit each other with to somebody's on the top rope they'd you know they'd pull them off um in fact i've got to find the quote from jr bear with me something about jerking off oh yes king can you jerk me off L- literally quoting the rock just jerked helmsley off but then he did say <laughs> the top rope but i was like well it's too late and, and i put yeah. jr's on fire after that but yeah that, that was a good line like i said I, I thought they used the strap in the way that it was meant to the only thing about it which annoyed me but then at the same time he is the heel so okay they'll get a pass it's probably just took it off i was like okay are you allowed to do that <laughs> i mean all right you don't have to touch the four corners that's cool it's pinfall but you know if, if he could just take the strap off why didn't he do that at the start you know why when he do that right at the start and start whipping the shit out of the rock he felt a little again he was the heel so okay but it just felt a little redundant for him to randomly you know i'm gonna take this thing off and i thought okay but you know they, they did it Believe it or not, as as much as this was the match of the night for me, I did enjoy it. But putting it into perspective, again, I just feel like Mr. Negative tonight is terrible. It, it, it still wasn't that great, which for me sums up the quality of the card. But it, it was good. It had a purpose. You know, tri- Triple H ended up winning to become number one contender at SummerSlam. Obviously, it was in the midst of Triple H's very early days getting his top push. You guys may know this. I have a funny feeling I know anyway. But the only thing I was, I was thinking after this was I... I don't believe we've ever seen a triple threat of Triple H, Austin and Rock. Has that match ever happened? I don't think so. I don't know, because I, I, not that I can remember. It may, may have no. had, it probably has happened, but I can't remember it. Maybe even like a Raw or something. But this is, I don't, I'm don't about to contradict myself because the following pay-per-view literally has a triple threat match in the time. But they weren't as reliant on multi-people matches at this point, I don't think. Oh man, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but like it seems that there's a triple threat match on every card now, you know, yeah. at least. Um, whereas it doesn't, they didn't do it as much back then. But that does seem, yeah, because I'm trying to think. So, like, I can I'm think sure of matches haven't. involving two of them, but not all Tinky, Tinky, figure that out and put it in in post. Because that's one that I just thought, my God, would that have been amazing? If ever there was, you know, the dream match, at least for me, that that we didn't get to see, that would be one of them. Tyron Faxton of the Week. So, as if to back up Tom's point about there being less triple threat matches during the Attitude Era, Austin himself was only involved in five triple threat matches during his entire WWF run. 
One of these incidentally came at the following month's SummerSlam pay-per-view opposite Triple H and Mankind, though obviously no Rock in that one. Incidentally, the referee for the match was Jesse the Body Ventura. The Rock, however, was involved in the main event of Survivor Series later that same year, which was also a triple threat bout and saw The Rock take on Triple H and The Big Show. The Big Show won that match and took the title, which was somewhat of a surprise as The Big Show had only been entered into the match on the broadcast, as he was drafted in as a replacement for the man who had been a victim of a hit-and-run car accident earlier that same night one stone-cold Steve Austin. So Austin, The Rock and Triple H were indeed due to play out Matt's dream match, but WWE had to come up with a change of plans at the last minute when a recurrence of Austin's neck injury meant he would be out of the, for the best part of 12 months. One last note on all this, all three men did appear in a multi-man match together at the end of 2000, but it unfortunately also included Rikishi, Kurt Angle and Undertaker when they fought in a six-man Hell in a Cell match. So in answer to your question, Tom, no, we did not get an Austin Rock Triple H Triple Threat match. Tyron Faxton of the week. Um, like I said, this was the best match on the card. You know, it was like I said, it was the start of Triple H's push. So in that case, the, the right guy won. Rock had already been champion at this point. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 98 yeah. Survivor Series, he wins his first title. Of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Rock was already, you know, sort of upper tier anyway, main event level guy, so he was already there. But yeah, this this was good. Like I said, for me, it was, it was the best thing on the show. I oh, think the, the promo by The Rock is absolute gold. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't mention that. Yeah, there's there's a promo with Michael Cole where he the Rock mocks Michael Cole's crap shirt and then says that Triple H sucks and does his usual catchphrases. Mm. But what I really liked about it is that it's obviously happening happening backstage as Triple H is already in the ring, so he's mm. watching it, which I thought and he, he looks real intense. It's very very good. Yeah, it's something like I was like, why don't they do use this more often? Mm. Not every show, but it just added a level of intensity as well to it. And also, Triple H isn't getting a lot of heat. And I think they know that because I think people quite like him. And well, he's got banging music for a start. Mm. And also, I think they kind of make him rock as he did in many of his programs, makes him the butt of the joke. And he highlights the fact that he's been whining that he was held down for five years because of the curtain call. Yeah. And it's just stuff like that. It's just like little things to get the heat back on. And plus, it's the rock. So, like, people love him more than anyone anyway uh there's a thing at the start where jr says about whipping someone like a government mule and lola asks how many mules does the government have (laughs) i didn't like that line yeah i'll be honest when they said strap match i was like just fuck off i fuck off with your stupid corner touching and then when they're talking about it, and Jerry was like, oh, it's a slightly different one. And then he was talking about the rules. So like you said, Tommy, falls count anywhere. I was like, yes. And I think they do a cracking job with this. Got to be honest. I think this is probably as good as you could do it. To your point, Matt, about him taking the strap off. I think he has to because he throws Rock either through the middle rope or over the top rope. And I think he realises, he's like, I can't do this. I can't get out the ring mm. without it looking really stupid. Mm. And without the rock just... Ha- like everyone just going, well, surely you just pull him off the apron. Mm. Jer- sorry, you jerk him off on the apron. <laughs> <laughs> but the commentary team cover that 
quite well because yeah. JR says he's taking his, he's taking you know the the strap off. I don't think he can do that. And um, King says I think it's come off because of the sweat. I think yeah, it's yeah. off. Which again, it's, it's decent. Like apart from the first match, I think at this point as well, I think Jerry Lawler is really comes into his own on commentary. Yeah. This he's desperately making excuses for the heels in ways that they should be doing it without trying to put himself over. I think he, he yeah, and that was a prime example of how good that bit of commentary was. Yeah, I liked all this stuff at the end. Like, I'm not a big interference guy, and there's a lot of it on this show, but I thought it was really well done. I think it also, like, doesn't necessarily need it, but it also protects The Rock a little. Like, it's taken three people to beat him. I thought this was good, steady, unspectacular. There's not anything particularly exciting in this match, but it goes almost 20 minutes, and by the last five minutes, I was in it. I was really mm. in it. A bit like we're talking about the main event. The last four or five minutes of that, I was just in it. And I was like, right, I really want to know how this goes. Because I can't remember who was in the main event at SummerSlam either. Yeah, no, I couldn't yeah. either. No, it's lovely. Well done, lads. Well done. Yeah. But then you, you expect it, didn't you? Hey, I, I can remember who was in the main event at last SummerSlam. Who was it? It was um, Triple H, McFoley, and Austin with Jesse Body Ventura as the special ref. That's, that's the ref, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't watch it at the time. I really enjoyed this match. This is my match of the night as well. So my notes on it are really Triple H has got amazing his amazing music was a bit we've already covered. And he looks fucking enormous and mm. quite intimidating as well. I like the fact that the rock again they they start beating each other up in the alley in the aisle way. It happens a few times on this pay-per-view, I will say that. But again, it's because everything for me felt quite intense and quite personal. And there's there's things about I think you tend to think of the rock like you talk about the rock and you'd be like oh yeah he was a wrestler once and you know he was, he was pretty good but i think i have sometimes have a tendency to kind of undersell how fucking good the rock is you focus on his promos and his charisma but he is so good his selling is phenomenal his offense whilst not always the most technically smooth looks real he's more of a brawler than people remember but it's his matches always mean so much the rock he does things in matches to keep people entertained he is a born entertainer he takes a woman's camera and take offer and takes a photograph of Triple H and then punches him. There's the bit like when they're fighting out by the uh, entranceway and he beats him and people are chatting Rocky and he stands there and does the thing where he closes his eyes and like takes it all in and more so than any other wrestler I can ever remember he genuinely seems like he is feeding off of the energy of the crowd. He's fucking brilliant and it doesn't get said enough and I think people tend to overlook it and I almost go so far as saying that Rock is maybe a little bit underrated because of the fact that there's obviously the Austin comparison but he he is so fucking good and a close follow-up for my mvp of the night which is obviously to that emt you get called a son of a bitch (laughs) would be triple h's hair because you touched on this on the episode a couple of weeks ago man his his hair the selling that that man manages to get his hair to do Mm -hmm. makes everything look so much more impactful so it makes the rocks offense look that much better because triple h puts everything into selling it and i was just like i was watching this and i was like i just got completely sucked into it i got so into this again they're, they're fighting in the crowd and i know we get that a few times in this pay-per-view but i was like this is this is fucking brilliant there's a bit where triple h gets uh, like punched over a railing backwards and he falls so slowly 
Yeah. And then it happens again over another barrier, and Mike Kuna just vaults over it so easily. Yeah. It just looks really, really funny. Like you said, Matt, they utilize the strap. They make it part of their offensive arsenal. The Rock gets pretty badly whipped, and then later on in the match, the Rock reciprocates it to Triple H, and that was great. The interference of China comes down at one point, and um, he then hits a rock bottom on Triple H, where Triple H is the referee's distracted by China, so they can't get the pinfall. There's a moment, there's a spot in it where Triple H. Is, is kind of stood on the top rope and the rocks at the bottom of the like kind of bottom of the turnbuckle kind of slumped, slumped down and Triple H is choking him and it's a really cool quite intense visual that they end up doing the old sleeper treatment of the old one two three hand thing mm-hmm. which he gets out of and then throws him off the top rope it's just great I, I thought this match was really fun and what I like about it as well is that obviously Billy Gunn comes down and gets himself involved and is part of the reason why the rock it loses the match which leads up to their match at SummerSlam and it all ties into the main event as well because Triple H comes down in the main event to uh, attack Austin because he's the next in line for the title so he wants to kind of get one over on him already The Rock comes down because he's aggrieved because of the fact that Triple H has beaten him unjustly. It just all ties together so nicely and and more so and I guess we can kind of talk come into our overall thoughts really because we've obviously covered the main event already. I really 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 enjoyed this pay-per-view and I'm kind of going to I'll give my overall rating and, and that now um my rating for this this pay-per-view is an eight which is very high and i was very surprised when i gave it but I, apart from the apart from the first match that's too high i'm gonna give it a seven no no i'm gonna give it an eight fucking guys with the exception of the first match which wasn't great which is the jeff jarrett edge match i enjoyed all of the matches for what they were and even that match had a reason to happen because of what mm. they did at the house show the night before. So ultimately, like you could go from Raw to Raw and not see the pay-per-view and Jeff Jarrett is still the Intercontinental Champion. But in between that, something happens. And that's mm. that's that just that makes this match better than it's not better because it's not a good match, but it gives a reason for it to happen. The, there's only two matches or three matches, I suppose. So you get um the, the tag team match with Acolytes and the Hardy Boys, which I enjoyed in isolation. You get a Dino Brown and Midian match, which I enjoyed in isolation, and the Al Snow boss man match which I enjoyed in isolation that have got nothing to do with anything else on the card they're all completely standalone matches on the card and I enjoyed all three of those matches but then the Big Show and Kane the DX tag match and the two main events all interlink with each other mm. in some very some degree and I just really liked that it made me think like this is why it was so good it isn't the in-ring action it's the storytelling it's the fact that think there are consequences to everything happening they've taken their time to think about it everything as I said everything's interlinked with each other which is why I've given that quite a high score because I think you can watch this pay-per-view and you can get a real sense of all of the storylines that are going on whereas how many pay-per-views have we watched where we're like I don't know why this match is happening mm. you know why every match is happening there's either a title on the line or there's a storyline is that is good enough for me to give it quite a high score um what about you matt what are you giving this go on polar bear <laughs> well, the, the polar bear is, is definitely striking on this one i mean to, to remotely go anywhere near higher than five no chance no chance in hell pun intended this was for me one of the worst shows that we've seen. It was a one-match card, which that one match was good. I, I think in terms of the overall quality of the show, it was good. I've seen far better from the pay in terms of Rock and Triple H. So I've seen much better from them. 
Um, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Tom, in terms of storyline-wise, there was a lot of connectivity, which is great, and, I, and I'm all for that. And, you know, matches have a reason to happen. But at the same time, I'd say Edge and Booker T had a match at WrestleMania 18 over a shampoo commercial. So that was a reason. It was a shit one, but it was a reason, you know. And not every match for me, needs to have that. It's good if the match is good as well, but I, I don't feel that they were. I feel this was very much a by-the-numbers show. So I'm going, like I said, I've given you my match of the night, I've given you my MVP of the night. This is my second least favourite show, and I know that's depressing to end with, but I'm giving it one. Oof. Oh, my word. I would not watch this again. Oh, bloody heck. I always feel there's there needs to be a reason for the match to happen. There needs to be a reason for me to get invested in it or else I can't. Don't get me wrong. I can watch an odd match. So, for example, like I love the Samoa Joe Kenta Kabashi match that took place in Ring of Honor all those years ago because it's an absolute spectacle and it's, and it's fucking bonkers as well. Um, And there's from what I gather, there's no real reason for it to happen other than that it's somewhat of a dream match. Like I can kind of give it that. But the fact that all of the storylines coming coming into the matches, with the exception of probably the... um. Blackman Ken Shamrock match aren't all just you attacked me so now we're going to have a feud there's always more to it than that yeah I think wrestling without storylines I I may as well I don't you do so this is different but I may as well just watch MMA <laughs> do you know what I mean because like that's what I need I need that storyline very quickly sorry old man just before yeah. you go MMA does have storylines as well mine Tom <laughs> yeah but but they the, the difference is is that they do it because of that same reason as well. Because no one would watch it otherwise. And it's something that, that something that I did used to watch MMA. Like my uh, kind of roundabout, oh, I don't know, years ago. I like to, my era is like Anderson Silva, Leo Machida, like in their kind of pump sort of thing. And I got turned off of it when people, it kind of started with Chel Sonnen. And then especially like Conor McGregor's and people like that started being deliberately obnoxious and heelish and very pro wrestling, but then completely disparaging the fact that they're doing pro wrestling. Like MMA is not worked obviously because it's a real actual sport things. But but what I don't like about it is that you got a lot of people, especially MMA fans, and you're obviously not one of them because you're into wrestling as well. But you get a lot of people who only like MMA fans who completely disparage wrestling and say and stag it off because they say that it's all fake and it's all bullshit. But there is everything up until the actual fight is completely worked in MMA as well, and that's why I kind of don't. It doesn't work in my head. I can't get my head around it. That's why I can't really watch it anymore. In all fairness to you, Tom, the era that you described, absolutely. It, it, it was a, it was a hell of a lot like that then. These days, there's probably more of a pro wrestling impact on the business than, than there's ever been. You know, guys like Israel Adesanya, I mentioned it on the pod a couple of weeks ago, middleweight champion, came out to Undertaker's theme music not too long ago, and, and an urn with his opponent's ashes in. In fact, I can't remember the, the women's fighter, but it was a couple of weeks ago, came out to Shawn Michaels' theme song. Daniel Cormier is known to be the biggest pro wrestling fan, you know, with in MMA and he talks about it all the time Ch- Chael Sutton he does it with a with a wink and a smile like he loves yeah. pro wrestling so he yeah. there's, but, there's so much good stuff that he's done but Chael Sonnen for example will acknowledge that whereas a lot of people don't I don't think whereas you, you said obviously there's people who do evidently overtly like it but when you get people I mean I'll be honest I just fucking hate Conor McGregor he's such a cunt and not in and not in the way that he wants you to think that he's a cunt. Do you know what I mean? Like not in the way that like he he's doing it to sell, you know, for for you to watch him get beaten up. Like it's not. I don't know. It's just it's got late now, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's exciting to hear people talk about something that I have no vested interest in. 
I'm always interested to hear because uh, it's not for me. People beating other people up for real. I like my fake stuff. <laughs> but yeah, this show is a funny one. I'm very much in between the two of you because I think the first, to be honest, six or seven matches on this card are really not very good at all. But in many of them, there's just enough. And that's to Tom's point where they've given me a reason why the match is happening. So I'm kind of like, you know what? I can kind of go with this. Now, I must say, after Big Show Kane, I was very subdued, I say, in my watching. I was very much like, oh, bloody heck. Well, this is the gap. But then I knew what was coming in the main event. And I think that's kind of to your point, Matt, where this feels like a one match card. I think the semi final spot warrants. Warrants it as well, but it's not promoted in any way. Until it happens, you don't really know that the strap match is happening. But I thought this was all right. And what it did do is when I got to the end, I was like, you know what? That wasn't great, but God, that brought back some memories. Just like that we've talked about, the interlinking of stories, the crossover with these people, Midian's on the card. <laughs> one more, one more. Midian's on the card of Alvinicism. Fuck me. I mean, what a world. I feel like this is six to nine months away from the fucking peak of my WWE watching, I think. Because I think you get the Rumble 2000 and then pretty much through and just beyond WrestleMania 17, I think it's just where it kind of, for me, is like the absolute gold of it. I'm sure if I went back and watched it and carried on and watched stuff before, I feel differently, but in my mind, that's the kind of build. This is a part of it, and this is the building blocks that are being put in place. So like you said, Matt, you've got The Rock. He's been champion before, but he's just underneath because he's been the corporate champion, and then he's moved away from that. And what they've not done, and this is I was very conscious of this towards the end of this card, they're keeping them apart, Austin and Rock. They're keeping them apart because they're like, right, we can't blow this load because they're the two biggest guys we're going to have. Like Austin's the biggest thing to ever happen to wrestling, ever. I think Hogan is very slightly below it, but Austin took it to levels that I don't think anyone ever thought wrestling could go to. And The Rock, I think to Tommy's point earlier, I think he is underrated and you get to see a bit of that on this card. But overall, I'm going to give this a six. And I think that's right. And it's, it's very much saved by the last two matches. There's no doubt about that. But those matches are good enough. And you get the shenanigans at the end of the Big Show Kane match as well. You also get a couple of shots of Alvinus in the Iron Circle match. So that's always <laughs> going to bump out of an extra point. Now, I haven't given my match of the night or my MVP because I'm very much struggling with both. Because for me, the main event and the semi-final are so close. But I think because it's for the title, because I think like, these are both my strap match and a first blood match. Don't like them. Don't like either of them. But I think I loathe a first blood match. So I'll give them it because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think because you also get Vince's commentary. Now for MVP, I'm going to give it to Jerry Lawler. Oh, there we go. I think outside of that first match, I think this is the kind of show where I was watching it and I was like, this is why he's great because there's this period where he's unfucking touchable because mm. he is amazing. There's also there's not there's not a women's match on here, so it does help. It very much helps. There's the stuff with Deborah that I wasn't a particular fan of, but you also then get Jr. making the joke about him liking young chicks and stuff like that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I just thought he was the best part of the card. I think because he's very much reined in and overall this is all right it's from memory from that SummerSlam 
this is as good as that SummerSlam. Mm. That's quite an indictment on that SummerSlam, I think, more than anything. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You think you're probably right. Yeah, but yeah, you know what? I mean, as a trip down memory lane, this was lovely. But I can completely understand why you, Matt, without the nostalgia factor, without the warmth for this, you don't like it. We mentioned it. I meant to ask this earlier. Have you watched Survivor Series 98? Um, No, no, I don't think I have. Mate. You sh- yeah. It is tremendous. Bruh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would say that, but I can pull it off. I was looking to me, we were talking about the um, opener and the house show. So that house show at the Sky Dome drew just shy of 15,000, 14,688 people. There is a Monday Night Raw on February 1999. Oh, no, hang on. That's the wrong date I've got. Six months before this, they drew 41,000 people from Monday Night Raw taping. Unbelievable, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Yeah, just for a Monday Night Raw. It's a, it's a wonderful time in the wrestling business, and I think that those 41,000 people who went to that Raw taping, and Tinky said this many times before on this podcast, that was the must-watch stuff. The pay-per-views were, outside of the big four at this point, the pay-per-views were kind of, you can get away without watching them. It was the rules and the Smackdowns when yeah. Smackdown started that were the absolute must-watch and stuff that me and Tommy, when we get together, we'll go back after a couple of beers and we'll watch one. And we'll always have a lovely time. Go on, wrestling! <laughs> it's time to draw a conclusion to this week's oh. show. Thank you very guys for sticking with us. It's been a bit of a mammoth session actually today. We're at yeah. least three hours. But that's what happens when you talk about such uh, such an important era, I suppose, and so many moving parts mm-hmm. and interesting characters. So thank you guys very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Matt. Gentlemen, pleasure as always. Thank you and good night. And thank you very much, old man. <laughs> thank you, everyone. I uh, just to give the listener an insight into the time of day that it is. So it's now I mean it's only nine twenty eight, so it's not too late, but I could just see my video on Skype. And I basically disappeared because it's yeah, dark right. outside now. And, yeah. and for some reason, you're wearing a you're wearing a Bristol City training top, and uh, I am. for some reason, your face is very red. You kind of look a little bit like the Pepper Army man. Yes, <laughs> this, this is the lighting of the Iron Circle match. This is what we had to see. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You don't, you don't need to worry about me and my Bristol City training top. Although Bristol City, as we all know, greatest team in the land. What have you got to do, lads? You've got a rate review. Boy, that's my fucking gimmick. <laughs> You've got a rate review. Cut my off at the pass, and remember, Kenny Boy Patera, the sexy little sod. <laughs> and thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll speak to you next week. Tara. <laughs> <laughs>